these plans because we think that uh, losing the A&E department in uh, St Helier and Epsom, losing maternity units, will actually cause a real problem, not least the fact that we know demand for A&E departments, demand for maternity units are going up and uh, the figures that have been used to make these decisions are just uh, fatally flawed. Hundreds of people are queuing outside banks in Cyprus after they reopen for the first time in almost two weeks. Many are protected by armed guards. A number of restrictions are in place. Withdrawals are limited to €300, Euros, cheques can't be cashed and people travelling abroad can only take €1,000. The South African athlete Oscar Pistorius has been told he can compete abroad while he awaits trial for the alleged murder of his girlfriend. The judge said Pistorius must give details of his plans a week in advance and must return his passport to a court within 24 hours of return to South Africa. In the city a few moments ago, the FTSE was trading up 51 points at 64.38. Let's get London's weather with Elizabeth Rizzini. Bright with plenty of sunshine around for the rest of the morning, but a cloudy afternoon, still very cold. Highs between 5 and 6 degrees Celsius. That's 43 in Fahrenheit. Just the risk of one or two very light wintry flurries towards southern areas this afternoon. Otherwise, mostly dry. And then this evening and overnight again, most places staying dry. A few light wintry flurries possible up through the Thames estuary, but plenty of clear spells around two temperatures in the suburbs down to minus two or minus three degrees celsius and it will stay very cold for the rest of the easter bank holiday weekend bbc london 94.9 it's five past twelve bbc london 94.9 london's news london's stories Good afternoon. Five minutes past twelve. This is Ian Lee filling in for Robert Elms, who's having a well-deserved day off. Don't panic, though. Lots coming up in the show. I tell you what, let's have some music, and then I'll tell you what's coming up after a little bit of Blondie, shall we? Yes. Why not? Some...
Hello, this is Ian Lee, BBC London. It's nearly ten minutes past twelve. I'm uh, sitting in for Robert Elms today. But don't panic, don't panic. We've got all the usual things that Robert would normally be doing. Lots coming up, including art critic Estelle Lovett's coming in. Now, let me put my cards on the table, dear listener. I know very little about the world of art. I know Estelle knows lots about it, so I'm hoping she can fill in the blanks. One of the things she's talking about, though... The light show at the Hayward Gallery. Oh, I've heard good things about this. It's kind of um, the, the sort of pop art. I don't mean pop art in the literal sense. I mean the kind of art that I can dig because it's not statues and paintings. It's all weird kind of... Well, you, you can guess from the title, The Light Show, it's lights in strange ways. Uh, the cover to cover today as well, coming up after one o'clock. My choice. I got very excited. I got a sneaky text last night saying, could you choose um, a song for cover to cover? Oh, fantastic, wonderful. I'll have a little rifle through my collection. I've got a corker. I've got a... It was the song that was uh, the uh, the opening song. They don't call it the opening song, do they? The first dance, that's it, at, at my wedding. That's the more appropriate phase, phrase. Uh, we've got that and a, a fantastic cover version of it. More on that and on. And later on, um, I'm going to be speaking to Josh West, who's a London bus driver. Hmm, London bus driver. What's so unusual about that? Well, he then went and drove a kind of strange bus... Through the Philippines, I think. It sounds hellish. You have to wonder why anybody would want to do something like that. And he's coming in a little bit later on to tell me why. If you want to get in touch today... Listen, I I feel a little bit lonely. I'm new here. I I don't want to offend anybody. I'd love it if you gave me a telephone call at some point today. The phone number is 0207... Double two four two thousand. You can of course text me eight one triple three. Text the word. Start your text with the word London. Just say hello. I want to make sure that people are listening. It would be awful to think that all of Robert's usual listeners have gone jog on, fella. I'm not listening to this muppet. <laughs> They've switched off. It will be nice to know you're with me. I'm going to do my best to 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 keep the spirit of the show. Um, and it's it's a great honour to be here today. O two o seven two two four two thousand is the phone number. Let's have some more music, shall we? Plain white tees. Hey there, Delilah. Hey there, Delilah. What's it like in New York City? I'm a thousand miles away, but girl, tonight you look so pretty. Yes, you do. Times Square can shine as bright as you. I swear it's true. Hey there, Delilah, don't you worry about the distance I'm right there if you get lonely Give this song another listen Close your eyes Listen to my voice, it's my disguise I'm by your side Oh, it's what you do to me Oh, it's what you do to me What you do to me Hey there Delilah I know times are getting hard But just believe me girl Someday I'll pay the bills With this guitar We'll have it good We'll have the life we knew we would My word is good Hey there Delilah I've got so much left to say If every simple song I wrote to you Take your breath away, I'd write it all Even more in love with me, you'd fall We'd have it all Oh, it's what you do to me 
thousand miles seems pretty far But they've got planes and trains and cars I'd walk to you if I had no other way Our friends would all make fun of us And we'll just laugh along Because we know that none of them have felt this way Delilah, I can promise you That by the time we get through The world will never ever be the same And you're to blame me two more years and you'll be done with school and I'll be making history like I do you'll know it's all because of you we can do whatever we want to hey there Delilah here's to you this one's for you Plain white tees. Hey there, Delilah. Hello, this is Ian Lee on uh, BBC London. Nice to be here. The, the song I'm going to play later on, after one o'clock, for cover to cover, is a very special song to me. A, I think it's one of the best pop songs of all time, without, without any shadow of a doubt. I just think it's gorgeous and it just sounds majestic. But the, one of the reasons why it's so important to me is because it was the first dance at my wedding. And um, for those of you who've chosen a first dance, it's kind of a tough thing, isn't it, to choose a song that means something to you and to your wife or your husband, but that also kind of fits in and is a bit romantic. The, the song we chose, it, my mother-in-law hated it, absolutely hated it. And when we told her what it was, she's Greek and a little bit bonkers. I'm not being racist, it's true. I'm not saying all Greek people are bonkers. But anyway, we uh, we chose it and we told her the song. She went, oh, yeah, that sounds like a nice idea. Then she went away and Googled the words. Uh, as is fashionable these days, and came back, and we got a right royal rollicking. We got got told off, actually told off. I think, well, how old was I? What, 37 years old? And I was getting told off for my choice of music, and I got a bit... I, I, suddenly I turned into 15-year-old me and got quite defensive and a bit, whoa, hang on a minute, I'm not being told what music... I'll tell you the song. It's God Only Knows by the Beach Boys. Wonderful celebration of life and of love and of just... It's that kind of teenage yearning that um, the Beach Boys were so good at, particularly on the, on the Pet Sounds album. But the thing that, uh, that, that really upset my then future mother-in-law was the first line, I may not always love you. Now, uh, yeah, yeah, I know, as a kind of a romantic um, opener to a relationship, the, the first dance, yeah, I may not always love you, but it perhaps doesn't um, 
isn't quite the most appropriate line. But then it goes on to say how this love is, you know, the, the, if I stop loving you, then there won't be any stars and the whole world will have fallen apart. So this this afternoon, could you give me a call or a cheeky little text? Not too cheeky, that would be inappropriate. Uh, and let me know your first dances that you chose for your wedding. And there'll be lots of... Uh, I've been to so many weddings where it's all it's all a little bit schmaltzy and a little bit awkward. Friends of mine spent months... Um, getting dance lessons for their first dance. Literally about three months, they would go twice a week. She was well up for it. He wasn't quite so keen. And they would go and have uh, dance lessons a couple of hours a week. And everyone was like, oh, have you heard that they've, uh, they're having dance lessons? The first dance is going to be amazing. And everyone was very excited. And when the first dance came, everybody was stood around the dance floor waiting for this wonderful thing that they'd spent. I think they'd spent a few hundred quid on these dance lessons. I'm not going to name them. That would be uh, uh, unfair for them. Uh, But uh, what they hadn't taken into account is that during the dance, she would be wearing a really long dress and would have to be holding up some of the dress. So her right arm was taken up holding the, the train of this dress. They hadn't accounted for that in their months of dance lessons. So within about... 20 seconds, the whole dance fell apart. Very embarrassing. It didn't look good. Could you give me a call or send me a text? The first, your first dance at your wedding, what was it? How did you choose it? And were there any arguments about it? I, I'd imagine as well, I, did, I would imagine it would be the blokes that would be trying to go for something maybe a little bit avant-garde. I felt cheeky pushing a Beach Boys song in there. I thought that was a little bit geeky. But there must be some blokes out there that have... You know, you've gone for a Neil Young song or something by Def Leppard and your your wife wants, I don't know, Michael Bublé? <laughs> oh dear, if my wife had suggested something like Michael Bublé, I like him. I think he's a very talented entertainer, but I, I certainly couldn't marry that woman. 0207 224 2000 is the phone number. You can send me a text, 81333. Start your text with the word London. I want to know your first dance at your wedding. How did you choose it? And... Was there was there any tension between you and your partner or maybe your future in-laws? 0207 224 2000. Hope you speak to you after this. This is Ian Lee on BBC London.
is Ian Lee on BBC London. We're talking, just by way of a conversation, we're talking about your first dance at your wedding. Who, choose the, who chose the song and was there any tension? My first dance was uh, God Only Knows by the Beach Boys. The first line, I may not always love you. It's perhaps not the ro- most romantic of lines. Uh, well, Lucy from Hackney's called in. Hello, Lucy. Hello, how are you doing? All right, Lucy, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Excellent. What was your first da- first dance at your wedding? Okay, so I'm just going to set the scene a little bit for you. Okay, let's so let's let's, we let's got imagine. Married in, um, yeah, we got married in um, in Las Vegas at the Little White Wedding Chapel, and um, it wasn't like just an off the cuff thing. It was because uh, I've got family living there, so we had our wedding reception over in my auntie's back garden in Las Vegas. And, um, like, we had loads of friends and family come over from England and Ireland and whatnot. Yeah. And anyway, we hadn't planned to have a first dance at all. What do you mean you hadn't planned some... to have a first dance? That's that's one of the big, in- enjoyable moments of a wedding. No, but it wasn't a typical wedding. We didn't right. want a wedding-y, wedding-y wedding, you know? Oh, you didn't want a wedding-y, like... wedding-y wedding? No. No. No! no. no. So, <laughs> anyway, we... we um, you know, the, after a couple of shampers and whatnot, yes. we just the music went on, and um, so suddenly uh, we put on uh, a little less conversation. The remix by Elvis, yeah. and uh, we got up and we just started just going for it, man. There's like <laughs> when you say just going for it, you mean dancing, yes? Uh, yeah, but I do definitely mean dancing. Excellent. Yeah. Okay. And did and, um, it because normally in in the, the first dance everyone stands around you and watches and goes oh, it's romantic they make a lovely couple did that I'm, I'm guessing that didn't happen. Everyone was just like Way! oh sorry I probably like put loads of your listeners off there I'm sorry about that everyone was just like cheering and going go for it and like you know just, just having a laugh. <laughs> How it's long? Amazing. It's supposed to be fun, right? It is supposed to be fun, right? How long ago did you get married? October last year, so and that's why I'm still a bit hyperactive about I it. I can probably. tell. And can I ask, are you still together? What do you think? Well, I don't know. I, I don't know these days, Lucy. I just, I just don't know <laughs> anything. And was it? Did you not feel? Because some people might say getting married in Las Vegas. It's a little bit tacky. I'm not saying that, Lucy. I'm not saying that in the slightest. But some people might think it's a little bit tacky. Did did, did anybody, any of your family, say that? No, they did not. And I, I, okay, I admit, maybe going to Las Vegas and getting married, like as most as other people would do, just the two of you, that would be ta- that. That might that would some be people, some wrong people, yeah. might say that was tacky. Yeah. yeah, but I've got family living over there, so it was a big family wedding we had in yeah. Las Vegas. So it wasn't tacky at all, man. It was like beautiful. <laughs> Lucy, I'm not having a go. Don't don't get defensive with me, please. It sounds <laughs> it sounds wonderful, and I'm, I'm you're very much in love. So congratulations to you. Oh, thanks. Bye, Thank Lucy. You there we go. Bye-bye. <laughs> 0207 224 2000. That was lovely. Lucy's very much in love with her husband. Congratulations.
felt like stone I heard the voices of friends vanished and gone that night I could hear the blood in my veins just as black and whispering as the rain on the streets of Philadelphia Bruce Springsteen, Street the Streets of Philadelphia, which is uh, always a pleasure to hear. This is Ian Lee on BBC London. I'm asking you today, your, your first dance that you had at your wedding. I'll play mine a bit later on. It's a cracking song. We're going to play cover to cover. We've got two brilliant versions of it. It's God Only Knows by the Beach Boys. A superb cover version of it. I mean, it it's going to be a tough one to decide which is the best. You have to listen with fresh ears because it's a song you know so well. 0207 2000 or you can text 81333. Start your text with the word London. What was your first dance at your wedding and did it cause any controversy? We'll talk more after the latest news with Richard Main. Thanks, Ian. The verdict is due to be returned this afternoon in the inquest into the deaths of three adults and three children who died in a fire at a tower block in South London. The blaze ripped through Lackanel House in Camberwell in July 2009. The police watchdog has found that the former chief constable of West Yorkshire Police would have had a case to answer for gross misconduct if he was still in office. At the time of the stadium tragedy in 1989, Sir Norman Bettison worked in South Yorkshire and helped compile the report on how the police reacted to the Hillsborough tragedy. Hundreds of people are queuing outside banks in Cyprus after they reopened for the first time in almost two weeks. A number of restrictions are in place, withdrawals are limited to €300, cheques cannot be cashed and people travelling abroad can only take €1,000 with them. And bomb disposal experts have been called to a fishing boat off Beachy Head in Sussex after it brought up a torpedo in its nets. The boat, which is roughly two miles southeast of Sovereign Harbour in Eastbourne, has the do- torpedo on its deck awaiting bomb disposal teams. London's weather, cloudy with the odd snow shower, but we could see some bright spells in places and a high of 6 degrees Celsius, 43 degrees Fahrenheit. <laughs> 
The BBC London 94.9 travel. Minor delays on the central line now following the earliest signal failure this morning and southern trains back on timetable on services via Oxted following the earlier road accident at the railway bridge there. Broken down lorry on the north circular, the eastern side of the Hangar Lane geratory system means two lanes blocked there. The southbound queues are now back to Neasden and the congestion around the geratory is also leading to northbound delays for, tra- for the north circular coming up from Ealing. It's also slow southbound uh, because of some roadworks as you head down towards Ealing Common too. Uh, broken down lorry on the A23 Streatham High Road still causing some southbound delays. It's just after the lights at the junction with Streatham Common North causing congestion back to Mitcham Lane. The A4 running well through Chiswick now following the earlier breakdown at the Sutton Court Road Junction. All lanes open and traffic looking good now from the Hogarth roundabout down towards the M4. Central London heavy traffic on High Hoban, westbound from Red Lion Street into Shaftesbury Avenue which is slow in both directions between Wardle Street and Piccadilly Circus and one lane closed on Evershot Street southbound for emergency water work at Phoenix Road so some delays possible alongside uh, Euston Station. If you've got any travel news do get in touch. You're welcome to call, text or tweet us at BBC Travel Alert. Pippa Sparks, BBC London 94.9, the next travel at one. This is BBC London 94.9. Good morning, Harriet. Hi, nice to talk to you again. Lovely to hear your voice. Thank you. Good morning, Miss Scott. Hi. Early breakfast with Harriet Scott. Wedding rings, where do you stand on them? I didn't have one when I was married. They didn't do my size. What? <laughs> that is the most rubbish excuse I've ever heard. Weekdays from four. One would see the boat race. It's no longer a British institution. I think it's, people still watch it. It's a sweet little reminder of one's past. The early breakfast show. Hey, I haven't spoken to you in a while. It's been a while, hasn't it? How dare you have a life outside of the early breakfast show? With Harriet Scott. At the start of another day in London. Weekdays from 4. BBC London 94.9. This feels like something special, so won't you tell me just how you
Listen, this is Ian Lee, BBC London, 94.9. I'm here till three o'clock today. We've got lots to cram in, lots to cram in. So let's crack on, shall we? Joined now by art critic Estelle Lover. Good, mo- uh, good morning. Good afternoon, Estelle. Good afternoon. How are you doing? You are right? I'm very, very well. I'm very excited because you're, later on we're going to be talking about a show that I might actually even go and see, which is kind of... A, I'm, I'm, my favourite pastime is to sit at home reading and, and not really doing a lot. So to, to hear about some of these is very exciting, but there's one, the light show, we'll talk about later on. I'm very excited about. What bits and pieces have we got, first of all? More Rodan. Yeah, more Rodan, as in Henry Moore, and even more Rodan. Well, that confused me to start with. The the, the two have teamed up for a super (laughs) art exhibition. (laughs) How is this working? Well, one of our greatest British sculptors, Henry Moore, of course, or some people like to think of him as the man who puts holes in women's stomachs, you know, sort of the the donut of sculpture. Right, that's a terrible thing to be famous for, isn't it? Well, I don't know. And then, of course, uh, Rodin, the the very famous Impressionist French sculptor, um, who actually was accused by the critics of being too good. You know, most of the time the art critics say you're bad as an artist, but he was accused of being too good because one of his figures looked as though it was actually cast from human form itself. They thought he cheated, and he said, no, I did it from scratch. I've something I've never been accused of being too good. (laughs) I could only dream of having that. Why are these two being paired up? Listen, Um, and and speak to me as though I am an idiot around art, because I am an idiot around art, so don't think you can be too basic on any of this. Henry Moore spent the last 40-plus years of his life in a farmhouse where he built his studios, 70 acres of wonderful English countryside, Peregrine and Hertfordshire. And one of his favourite artists was Rodin. Another one was Michelangelo. Rodin also admired Michelangelo and the Henry Moore Foundation have had this wonderful um, idea to mm. combine Moore and Rodin together and they've had Mary, uh, Henry Moore's daughter, Mary, come in and help curate it. Right. So you walk in and, for example, there's a selection of Henry Moore's bits that he collected against Rodin's bits and it's everything it's not just expensive pieces of art it's also shells that maybe Henry Moore picked up whilst walking on the beach in Frinton Mm. and he thought wow they look pretty amazing and he'd just take them home and put them on a shelf and exhibit them as as though they were an artifact but but there's so it's not just their their works of art no it's it's things they collected as well okay but of the sculptures there's one that's normally outside the houses of parliament by Rodin 
I, I read about this. It's huge, and they've shifted it, haven't they? They've moved. They they put it on the back of a of a truck. Wow. And slapped it down to Hertfordshire. Fantastic. And they've placed it right on the grass. So normally, it's four and a half feet in the air on a plinth. Right. And they've placed it on the grass, so you can really look through it. And plinths are really important. Rodan was probably the first artist to think. Now, what shall I do with the plinth? Shall I have it five feet high, or shall I have it one inch off the ground? Right. People don't consider those things. But then, when you compare the Rodan works next to the Henry Moore works, which are either sort of uh, backs of women with holes in them or fractured limbs, mm. sort of unfinished, finished works of sculpture. We're not too sure. But the idea was to make it look as though a bit of clay had just fallen into that shape. Right. And very often, Henry Moore would actually make a piece of clay fall into a particular shape because he'd let it fall on the floor. He'd drop it and he'd pick it up and he'd say... Oh. And he would call that art. Some might say that's a little bit lazy. Just let, let, let a bit of clay fall on the floor and uh, that'll do, that'll do. But it's aspirational. I mean, yes. doesn't it make you want to grab a piece of plasticine or something? <laughs> a, a bit of play Can I just say, if, he's put, if he, they put that statue on, uh, that, that sculpture on, on the grass, as, as a father of young boys, that grass is going to be ruined. I know if ever I put down a paddling pool or something on the grass, even for a couple of days, that grass is dead. That's well, never grown yeah, back. Yeah, and the other thing is, I don't know, if, have you got sheep in your garden like I Henry Moore? I don't have sheep in my garden, Estelle. No, no I don't. Is you see Henry Moore's got sheep in his garden right. and they all go right up to the sculptures and sort of scratch themselves on it. But Henry Moore loved that. Whereabouts is this? If people want to go and see this. This is Perry Green and Hertfordshire, which yeah. is less than an hour away in okay. the car from London. But the reason I mention it here is because, of course, Henry Moore lived in Hampstead for a period mm-hmm. and also the sculpture, the Rodin sculpture going from outside the Houses of Parliament in London for this uh, exhibition. It's lovely. Even if it's snowing outside, yeah. just take your wellies. And does it work having two different artists? Is, is this quite common to have two different artists displayed together? Well, this is the first time that the Henry Moore Foundation have actually invited another artist to exhibit alongside Moore. So this is unusual, but it works because their inspirations and their starting points and their ideas were both the same. Mm. Okay, so it gets the thumbs up for you. You're recommending we should make the journey, make the effort to go and have a little look. And you can have a look around Moore's farmhouse where he See, lived. See, now, that kind of, that grabs me a lot more. I do like having a nosy round mm. um, people's houses. Is it set up as it was when he lived there? As it was, yeah, exact, exactly as it was. So yeah. his yellow lounge, his yellow carpeted front room and apparently you had to take your shoes and socks off you know before you could go in because his wife little russian irina moore was very particular actually she she sort of spurred him on quite a lot because she'd say to him henry who would go and pay to see your sculptures when they can see leonor michelangelo or donatello for free how rude I I do like her taking your shoes off, though. We have that same rule in our house, Estelle. If you ever come round, shoes off, please. (laughs) We we may lend you some slippers. Okay, so that's uh, more Rodin at uh, Perry Green in Hertfordshire. Manet. Yeah. What's, what's what's he up to these days? <laughs> well, it's funny you say that, because if he was alive today, yeah. he'd be tweeting and he'd be Facebooking. Really? Yeah, definitely, because he was an artist who was so into who was around, who was famous at, at the time. Right. So the paintings he did were either portraits of famous people. It was almost like flicking through Hello or OK magazine. Mm. So the paintings he did, there'd be famous um, singers, famous artists, famous, or, famous authors um, in the paintings. 
but also part of his private life that we're only just beginning to discover. For example, his wife, Suzanne, mm. very famous pianist who, who was recommended um, by um, one of the, the great pianists at the time to go and seek a job at the Manet household had a relationship, in inverted commas, with both Manet and his father. She became pregnant with the son, Leon. Yes. So we'll see Leon in the portraits there. We're not too sure who the father is, if it's Manet or the father. It's like an episode of Jeremy Kyle. It's amazing. We we need the all-important DNA results. (laughs) So this boy, this Leon, um, who actually didn't become a painter in the end himself, um, but we don't know if it's Manet's half-brother or his son, but Mm. there's portraits of him. There are also um, portraits that look unfinished. Right. And people think... At the t- people thought, especially at the time, why on earth are we praising this artist? His pictures look unfinished. And Manet said, listen, my pictures are unfinished to look at because they have as much information in them as possible, so they look sketchy. Mm. But, of course, he was the uh, father, if you like, of Impressionism or, or the force that fed Impressionism. Right. Um, but he was a brilliant painter, very academic as well, and could, could paint very realistically, very photographically, but he wasn't interested in doing that. He just wanted to change the course of art history, which he did do. <laughs> Is that all? Is that all he wanted? I just want to change the course. But was he aware at the time that he was, he was changing the course? course of art history you can't be can you if you're doing that you can only appreciate that retrospectively surely that's a good question um he was aware that he was doing something new because all the um galleries kept refusing him to have an exhibition Mm. so he knew that he was onto something and he was financially independent so he wasn't reliant on selling his paintings so he could do what he wanted to And, of course, then you'll also see portraits, apart from his wife and Leon, the, the boy who we're not sure who's the father is, um, we'll also see portraits of Bertha Morisot, who he had a soft spot for. Mm. He, he never had an, uh, an these artists, affair, These but... artists are so mucky. They, they are mucky. <laughs> Their minds are all off. Oh, it's the muse, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, OK, so that's at the Royal Academy. Is that on now? That's on now until the 14th of April. OK. Liechtenstein. Yeah, this, this is great because you, you can either be a high art snob or, yep. or a uh, low art snob. For those who don't know, because I think I know the name, and then you see the pictures, and the pictures, it's he's he's the guy that does pictures that look like they're from comics. Exactly, basically. yeah. So he's to America what the bricks are to us. You right. know the bricks in the Tate Gallery? Yes, just yes. Just a pile of bricks. Okay, so people didn't quite get him, but as I say, you know, you're either a high art snob or a low art slob. Is that, is that proper art? Is that, is, that, is that kind of comic art proper art? What Liechtenstein would do is he would take a comic yeah. and, and a comic box in a whole page is maybe two by an inch and a half in size, right? Yeah. He would scale it up so they'd be enormous, maybe four foot by three foot. He'd draw it from hand um, onto a piece of paper, change it slightly. He may change the angles, he may change some mm. of the text, some of the colouring, um, and then he'd paint it by hand, to look as though it's been commercially printed. Right. So the Bende dots, that's just the name of the commercial dots that you see in the comics, the little... The Bende dots would be painted by hand with a toothbrush that he would push through the the bristles through a um, handmade um, steel sheet that he had holes made into. And it would look like a comic. So some people say, okay, what's the point of it? Well... (sighs) 
you know, before his exhibitions even opened, when he was still alive, they sold out. So mm. people were interested in buying these images. And it wasn't just comics. He would also look at uh, 1950s um, catalogues where women would be seen in the kitchen, you know, 2.2 mm. children and Tupperware, Pyrex, etc. Um, and he would use those images. And funnily enough, there, were, there weren't photographs in them at the time. They were drawings. Right. So he would transcribe other people's drawings and then the other issue, of course, is well, what about the original cartoon- cartoonists that did the drawings in the first place? Yeah, you know, surely they're, no... doing the, they're doing the creative bit, aren't they? Because they were there, they came up with the original idea and he's just copying it and changing it a little bit. He's copying it, changing it, but now people have started to demand to know who the original DC comic artist right. was. Um, but he never said, I'm making a straight copy. Mm. And it all started all because his son got his dad, Liechtenstein, to read from his comic book and his son turned round to him and said, Dad, I bet you can't draw as well as one of these. And he was 37 years old at the time, so sort of a little bit late in life to to, to sort of flourish as a young artist. But that was a life-changing moment for him because previous to that, you'll see a lot of paintings which are just very thick brushstrokes of of abstract colour. He was part of the abstract expressionist New Would you call this... Is this pop art? It looks pop art to me. Yes, it is pop art. And people always think that the Americans started pop art. They didn't. We did here with an artist like Richard Hamilton. Yes. But the Americans always do it bigger and better, as you know. And and America (laughs) made pop art sexy. We we had a go at making it sexy with 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 bands like the Who and the kind of mod movement. We sort of made it a bit oh yeah yeah no in in music wise we were leading and they were following. Picasso, what's oh that that's uh, the the Liechtenstein is at the Tate Modern. Yes, Picasso becoming Picasso. I mean, can you imagine when Picasso was yeah. 19 years old, a young boy in um, Paris, so he, he'd left Spain and he's thinking, right, what can I do mm. to make my name? And funnily, funnily enough, whilst he's in Paris, I must just tell you, it's not nothing to do with this exhibition, but it's really interesting because the Mona Lisa was stolen Yes, I've heard about this. And he was kind of linked with it, wasn't he? Well, they they suspected him, not because he was a thief in any way under any other charges, but he used to spend all day in the Louvre copying the great masters. Mm. So they sort of, you know, clocked him and thought, Oh, he's here a lot. Yes. And then when the painting got stolen, they thought, I wonder if Did he get hauled in for questioning? Pablo. They, they, they had a word with him, didn't they? They did have a word with him. But of course, he wasn't Picasso no. then. He was just Pablo. Some hoodlum. Did, did they, didn't they find it rolled up in a loo yes. somewhere? Yeah, no, they found it. One, one of the employees had stolen it. Aye. Thought that they could sell it on. Yeah, of course. Ridiculous how people still work smart, so famous, and think, I'll. Oh, I'll sell that down the market. Yeah. That'll be easy. Oh, yeah. Mona Lisa. Yes. Yeah. So what's what's this exhibition yes. we've got? So this exhibition um, is how um, he leaves Spain. He goes to Paris. He's very interested in seeing what's going on in Paris because Paris at the time is is the centre of the art world, yep. and he sees all this. All these fantastic artists, he sees Cezanne and and Manet Mm. and Monet and all the other Impressionists, and he tries to emulate their style, not to make copies or forgeries of them, but to to try and learn from them. So there's wonderful examples of Toulouse-Lautrec, for example, the little guy, Mm. yeah? Yes. Yeah. (laughs) I know him, the wee fella. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the wee fella. (laughs) Um, And the paintings that you see here, they're not all great, but they're the turning point in Picasso 
becoming Picasso from just it's becoming him, Pablo. It's him learning, isn't it, and getting his own, what we, we would call a voice, his own voice and his own style, isn't Yes, it? and there's a couple of paintings which are really important to see there. First of all, there's the Harlequin series, and people say, oh, the Harlequin, the, the Joker, if you like, that, that's um, a, a, a sort of a reference to Picasso. And then there's also a painting called Child with a Dove, mm. which has just been sold. It's going to be leaving the country soon. This is the last chance to see it. It's of a little boy yep. holding a... Um, a dove? There's a, there's a dog. Right. And there's a <laughs> I'm kind of guessing from the title, so I don't know. There's, <laughs> he's holding a ball. Right. And some people say it's a portrait of his little son. Right. The, the child's wearing a dress, but that's OK, because posh boys used to wear dresses. They still they were, do. Right. They still do these days. Listen, we're running out of time. This oh. is, that's Becoming Picasso. That's uh, we're the Courtauld Gallery. Yes. Uh, the, I, I want to squeeze this one in because okay. this a friend of mine, Paul, uh, my friend Paul the other day said, you must go and see this show. You'll love it. The light show at the Hayward Gallery on the South Bank. I've not been yet. It's just lights. You've got to go. It looks no, you, brilliant. You've really got to go. Actually, it's be, it was going to be on until end of April. It's now been extended into May. It's brilliant. And it all started with Dan Flavin, who's an American artist. Um, and he just used commercially made fluorescent light strips, like the ones yep. that you've got above you in your studio. And he just would construct light sculptures. That's the best way I can describe it, is light sculptures. So there's Dan Flavin there. There's also Eliasson. Um, and Eliasson works with strobe lighting and water. Oh, I um, love it. It flickers on and off. And so you think that a, a, that a sculpture is moving behind you behind and in front of you, all around you. It's all encompassing. There's also Villarreal who creates this wonderful cascading and it's been orchestrated, lights that are orchestrated because they flow down tubes at various moments in time. And you can stand there forever because it never repeats the pattern. Yeah. And it changes colour. See, this sounds really exciting to me. This, all the other stuff, yeah, it sounds kind of cool. But this sounds wonderful and different and a little bit pretentious and exciting and funny and all the things that I kind of want. I tell you what this reminds me of, for no other reason than it, it's just a little bit left of centre. Do you remember a few years ago at the Barbican, they had an exhibition where it was a room full of rain. electric guitars. No, the oh. electric guitars and the birds flying yes. around. It's a room full of birds and they would land on the electric guitars and play them. This kind of feels similar to me and it's a little bit a little bit odd. It, it is, but don't forget, um, using light bulbs, as I say, going right back to Dan Flavin since the 1960s, it's not new, but the way it's been used with computers, because a lot of it is worked out is computer generated right. it's just extraordinary and you will come out feeling as though you've been to an all night party you know oh. and your eyes feel like they've got matchsticks I would be worried that it, I, 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 would I come out with a migraine or something I, I don't want to it'd be a happy migraine is there such a thing <laughs> Hey, listen. Did you have a did you have a first dance? You're, you're yes, married, aren't you? What was yes. your, what was your first dance? Embraceable you. Who's that by? Uh, numerous people have done oh, it. Oh, okay. It's, it's a classic. Oh, is it? It's a classic that I've missed. You're too young. Yeah. I, I'm, well, God bless you for that. <laughs> w w was it easy for you and your husband to decide that's what you're going to do? Were there a few arguments? A little bit of bargaining to get that? Um, we came up with a list. And then that, we thought, would be the one to pick because, uh, yeah, we're a bit sort of soppy, I suppose. There's nothing wrong being soppy. I like soppy. Estelle, listen, thank you so much for coming in. Pleasure. Fascinating. That last one, the light show, is at the Hayward Gallery on the South Bank. Very nice to see you. Thank you for that. Uh, right, if you want to give us a call, the phone number, 0207 224 2000. We're asking, what was your first dance? And was there any controversy when you picked it? I'm going to play mine after one o'clock. But before that, here's Diana Ross, my old piano. 
Ian Lee, BBC London, 94.9. Uh, coming up after one o'clock, I'm very excited. I get to do a cover to cover, and I've chosen a song myself. I've chosen, well, it's God Only Knows. The, the famous Beach Boys song. Version one is by the Beach Boys. Version two is by Petra Hayden. Her version is incredible. It's completely Acapulco. She does all of the sounds herself. She's like a, a, a kind of a, a slightly more cerebral Bobby McFerrin, if you can imagine such a thing. And I'd be keen to get your your thoughts. I've known the, the, the Beach Boys version for so many years. The Petra Hayden version, kind of a little bit newer to me. Keen to know what you think. We'll be discussing that and a whole lot more. But first of all, let's get the travel news now. Here's Pippa Sparks. Thanks, Ian. Delays of up to 15 minutes for East Midlands trains due to a signal problem near Bedford. And the signal problem in Reading, or to the west of Reading, is delaying first Great Western trains between Paddington and Reading through to Digcot Parkway for Oxford and the West Country. M11, down to one lane southbound from Junction 5 at Loughton to Junction 4 for the North Circular at Woodford due to a broken down vehicle. So delays there. The matrix sign's been set at 50 miles an hour. Broken down lorry on the North Circular at the eastern side of the Hangar Lane Geratory system. One lane blocked now, but the southbound queue is still pretty dreadful. Back to Neasden, and the congestion round the Geratory is also leading to northbound delays for the North Circular coming up from Ealing. That's a slow southbound as well in the area as we've got roadworks near Queen's Parade by North Ealing Station. So congestion southbound as well back to Hangar Hill Park. Broken down lorry on the A23 Streatham High Road southbound just after the lights at the junction with Streatham Common North still causing congestion back to Mitcham Lane and uh, the north side of Hammersmith Geratory down to two lanes for gas work it's causing delays for traffic heading up towards Shepherd's Bush Road with northbound queues for Hammersmith Bridge Pippa Sparks, BBC London 94.9 The next travel, 1.30 On 94.9 FM DAB Satellite and online London's news, London stories London, 94.9. London's news at one o'clock. I'm Richard Main. Good afternoon. Ten members of a violent gang who robbed a number of jewellery shops across London have been jailed for a total of 82 years today at the Old Bailey. The group of Romanians targeted Asian jewellers across the capital, stealing a million pounds worth of jewellery, which they then buried after their raids to try to hide it from the police. The jury in the inquest into the deaths of six people who died in a fire at a tower block in South London is due to return its verdict later this afternoon. Three children were among those who died on the 11th floor of Lackanell House in Camberwell in 2009. The jury heard ten weeks of evidence at Lambeth Town Hall before retiring on Friday to consider verdicts. The police watchdog has said the former chief constable of West Yorkshire Police would have a case to answer for gross misconduct over the Hillsborough inquiry if he was still a serving police officer. The IPCC said Norman Bettison tried to interfere with his referral to the watchdog last year before resigning. Margaret Aspinall, whose son died in at Hillsborough, said she was disappointed Sir Norman wouldn't face action. I don't know what punishment he can get now for the simple reason he resigned himself I think he knew what might have come out. He decided to resign before they could stop his pension or sack him. And to me, it's an absolute disgrace that he's got away with even that. 
A cross-party group of MPs is calling for what they describe as flawed plans to close the A&E wards at St Helier and Epsom hospitals to be abandoned. The former care minister and Sutton and Cheam MP Paul Burstow is one of five MPs to write to leaders of the three clinical commissioning groups who will have the power to determine the fate of both hospitals from the 1st of April. Paul told BBC London the services at both hospitals are very good. In terms of quality of services, you'd think that one of the judgments that would be brought into account when it comes to closing something would be whether the quality of it was poor. When the truth is, in South West London, the Epsom and St Helier hospitals have higher quality in terms of mortality, people not dying and so on. Uh, more mothers are choosing to go and have their babies born at St Helier than other hospitals in South West London. So quality has been discounted on the hope that the others will get better later. There's a warning that more than two million of the poorest households in England will pay more council tax because of the government's benefit changes. The Joseph Rowntree Foundation, which campaigns against poverty, says the average rise for low-income families will be almost £140 a year. Ministers say town halls have enough funds to support the most vulnerable people, but the Shadow Community Secretary, Hilary Benn, says many will be affected. This new poll tax is going to hit the disabled, carers, single mums. It's also going to affect about half a million people who are working, going out in the morning and, uh, and trying to earn a living. It is profoundly unfair, uh, and it's coming in at the same time as the hated bedroom tax, so some of the families are going to be hit twice over. Hundreds of people are queuing outside banks in Cyprus after they reopened for the first time in almost two weeks. Many are protected now by armed guards. A number of restrictions are in place. Withdrawals are limited to 300 euros. Cheques cannot be cashed. And people travelling abroad can only take 1,000 euros with them. Speaking outside a bank in Nicosia, this Cypriot MP said it was a sad day. Very depressive day. Today we have to pass a test. Banks will reopen up there for 14 days with uh, severe restrictions. We have to do this. We had a solution uh, with which we are not happy, but it's not only a problem uh, of Cyprus. And Nelson Mandela is in hospital in South Africa with a lung infection. The 94-year-old spent three weeks in the hospital in December with the same problem. The presidential spokesman said doctors hope to stop the infection from spreading as quickly as possible. On to sports news now. Here's the birthday boy himself, Anka Desai. Thanks very much, Richard. Good afternoon. David Hay will be back in boxing action at the Manchester Arena on June the 29th against an as-yet-unnamed opponent. The heavyweight boxer from Bermondsey will be stepping back into the ring for the first time since last summer when he took on fellow Londoner Derek Chisora. Elsewhere, Arsene Wenger says Arsenal midfielder Jack Wilshere will be given an extra week to recover from an ankle injury and should return for the game against Norwich on the 13th of April. And Crystal Palace have been boosted by the news that their top score Glenn Murray has agreed in principle a new three-year deal at Selhurs Park while Dagenham and Redbridge have signed Tottenham Hotspur goalkeeper Jonathan Miles until the end of the season. The next sport is at five o'clock. Thanks very much. In the city a few moments ago, the FTSE was trading up 54 points at 64.41. London's weather now with Elizabeth Rizzini. It's a cloudier afternoon, but still some spells of brightness. We may just see one or two very light wintry showers towards southern areas in particular, but otherwise mostly dry through the rest of the day. Temperatures today, 5 or 6 degrees Celsius, that's 43 in Fahrenheit. We've still got that northeasterly breeze too, making it feel really very bitter. Now into this evening and overnight, the breeze will ease slightly. We'll see a widespread frost into tomorrow morning, some clear spells, temperatures dropping to minus 2 or minus 3 degrees Celsius. We want to watch out for some ice towards eastern areas of the capital into tomorrow morning and then tomorrow much the same sort of day but I think we will see a much cloudier morning again the chance of the odd light wintry flurry in places highs of four or five degrees thanks Elizabeth BBC London 94.9 it's now five past one
BBC London 94.9. London's News. London's Stories. Hello, this is Ian Lee, in for Robert Elms on BBC London 94.9. Now, this is the bit I'm very excited about, cover to cover. I genuinely love this bit, and I got a little text last night saying, have you got your songs for cover to cover? Oh, I rubbed my hands with glee. Being the musical geek and the musical magpie that I am, I thought, oh, have I? Which ones do I pick? So, I picked a song that is, uh, is incredibly significant to me. I've always thought it's one of the most beautiful songs in the world. It's a masterpiece. Okay, uh, and the, the the first version we're going to play, the original version, was the first dance at my wedding, and so it's it's got that whole significance and that the, the, the whole connection to that. So let's start off with the first version, the original version, and you will know this song, and you will have heard this song a thousand times before. I'm going to ask you now: listen to it with fresh ears, pretend you've never heard this song before, and just marvel at the intricacy. This is the Beach Boys, and God only knows. love you but long as there are stars above you you never need to doubt it I'll make you so sure about it God only knows what I'd be without you if you should ever leave me well life would still go on believe me So what good would living do me? God only knows what I'd be without you. Listen to that ending. Wonderful. I saw Brian Wilson. I've seen Brian Wilson live several times. I have to confess, I'm a huge Beach Boys fanatic. And I saw Brian Wilson playing a theatre somewhere in London. I can't remember what theatre it was. He played that song and the whole audience stood up and sang it back to him for three minutes. Just that chorus. It was a wonderful moment. 
such a good song. I think, have I got this right, Beach Boys Geeks? I think it took him 15 minutes to write that. I know. I think so. Anyway, listen, that's the version you've heard a thousand times before. Now, this is a version that uh, I first first heard, I don't know, about four years ago. And when someone mentioned it to me, I thought, yeah, that sounds gimmicky. That sounds cute. It won't be any good. I was wrong. It's by a lady called Petra Hayden. She's done the entire God Only Knows a cappella with her doing all of the vocals. Everything you're going to hear now, including this weird background bit that sounds like an instrument, it all comes from her mouth. Have a listen to this. God Only Knows Petra Hayden. It's up to you. You've heard them both. I think they're both stunning versions. I mean, it's a great song. It's a really good song. You'd be hard-pushed to do a bad cover version of that, although David Bowie had a really good attempt. 0207... Uh, 224 2000. 0207 224 2000. It's over to you. Which of those... Well, which of those do you prefer? It's a very simple question. 0204 224 You can also text 81333. Uh, start your text with the word uh, London. Robert's from Beckton. Hello, Robert. Hello, Ian. Um, the young lady had a, a lovely uh, attempt at it and uh, been a sort of pretty fired attempt at it, but uh, I think you picked on, you probably uh, deliberately, you picked on the most perfect pop song that there is. Not, not necessarily the most beautiful or my favourite, mm. But the most perfect pop song, um, it's the best pop song that I think that's ever been done. And 
you can't you have to have a voice where you have the instrumentation contrasting with it the crescendos of the voices the harmonies of the voices and although she does a pretty fine attempt at it oh but she's going to be limited by her vocal range and what she can do with her with her talents there but no i think the, the beach boys song is the best song ever done and i don't think you can beat that really no matter what you do the, the, the beach boys the beach boys version of god only knows is is a classic and i do think you're right it, i i don't know if it's necessarily the best pop song of all time it, it's certainly in the top five it, it, it's wonderful it's majestic it's slightly spiritual i think as well uh, it, it was the first ever pop song to have the word god in and, and the record company were really Anxious that the Beach Boys were going to lose it by putting the word God in a title because it yeah, would scare. Yeah, brave of them, wasn't it? At the time, it was. Look, you know, look how things have changed. But yes, at the time, it was very brave. Mm. Do you not think though that that um, Petra Hayden's version? It, it, it's it's interesting that that she is taking a song by a group that are famous for their vocals and stripping it down to vocals. It kind of makes it a, a, a bit naked. It does. I think it, it, it's, it's, it's clever and it's braver to, to attempt it, I think. But, um, uh, yeah, I think with, with the song that it is, with so many contrasting parts to it, you know, the, you know, the, the contrast of the voices with the orchestration, it was cleverer to do that. If she's got that skill with her voice to be able to do that, mm. I suppose it was wiser for her to pick on that, on that, on that song. But... I mean, she can't better it, really, can she? Let's face it, you know. Robert, listen, thank you very much indeed. Robert from Beckton is is going for the Beach Boys version. I should say, Petra Hayden is fascinating. She did, um, she she does odd choices. I know she's got a new album out where uh, she does movie themes, including the uh, theme tune from Tootsie and also the Superman theme tune. I know. She's also done, reworked the entire The Who Sell Out album. Acapella. I know. I don't think it works quite as well as this Beach Boy song. There are some brilliant tracks on there, and I did toy with the idea of playing uh, her version of I Can See For Miles or Tattoo from the Who Sell Out. But um, I'm, I, I think this is pretty darn good. 0207 224 2000 is the telephone number. What do you think? There is always the danger with a song like God Only Knows and... Um, Robert, they're saying it's the best pop song of all time. I don't, uh, I don't think it is. I, I think Daydream Believe is the best pop song of all time. There is a danger. It's a song you know so well that you dismiss it because it kind of becomes wallpaper. You've heard it so many times before. Let's have a little recap. These are the two songs we're talking about. It's God Only Knows. We'll start off with the Beach Boys version. I may not always love you but long as there are stars above you, you never need to doubt So that's the Beach Boys version. That's the song we've all grown up, we've known and loved. Have a listen to this. This is Petra Hayden, completely a cappella, a one-woman masterpiece. When I decided to do this song, and I was choosing this song yesterday, I did listen to this version about eight times in a row in the car, because it just, every time you hear it, it, something else just pops up. Her doing the... I'm trying to do it. She's doing the little, the percussive bits with her mouth. I'm hoping it's her mouth anyway, for goodness sakes. 0207 224 2000. Uh, Gary from Catford. Hello, Catford. Uh, Good evening. Uh, Good afternoon. Good afternoon, sir. Yes. What, what, What did you make of those two versions? 
Well, as much as the song is fantastic, as you quite rightly say, uh, her version is a little bit flying pickets. Well, the, the, the flying pickets. Them, I, I do remember the flying pickets. Of course, they were very famous in the eighties. They did. Um, what was the, the big hit the flying pickets did? I, it, I know it went da 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 da. Da, 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 da. Boom, I don't boom, remember boom. the name of it. Da, da, da. Looking from a window above. That's they did that was the, the Yazoo song, didn't they? Yes, that, oh, was, that it. was it. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, what was it called? Only uh, you. That was it. I'm, I'm Nathan, who is helping me out here today. It's only you. Uh, but but is is that a problem? I I always marvel at the the, the intricacies of a cappella songs like that. But whilst it's very clever and and as you say, very technically good, she could never sing that live. Because you can't, she can do her voice live. Obviously, she couldn't do all the bits of it anywhere else. Yes. Um, and I just find I, I don't, I, I don't know that she's a really great singer. I think it's a better song than she is singer. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, it it does make sense. And listen, but listen, I've heard, I've heard the Beach Boys do that version, that 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 song. Pretty ropey a few times in, in their darker days in the 80s. Uh, but, but yes, I mean, she isn't the best singer in the world. And uh, Carl Wilson, who sings the lead on the Beach Boys version, has an amazingly sweet voice. One of the yeah. purest voices in pop there ever was. But do you not, do you not I... sit back and marvel at the, the technical... How, how could you think, possibly d- deconstruct that song and recreate it just vocally? That, 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 that she, takes some skill. Some, she's got to have some great imagination, as you say, to sit there and go, do you know what, I could sit there and do all those different bits. You must be incredibly imaginative and talented musically. I just think, it, I don't know, it, and I agree with the last caller, maybe the song is just too big for you to really sit back and go, it's anywhere close to the original. And maybe that's always a problem when you do a cover version like that. Gatford, is thank it, you. Okay, look, oh, I've cut him off mid, mid-flow. Sorry, Gatford, I do apologise. 0207 224 2000. Well, it, the, the Beach Boys seem to be... Uh, Seem to be winning, hands down. And it, listen, look, no one can deny, or maybe you can. Maybe I was going to say, no one can deny it's one of the best songs of all time. Maybe you can. Maybe you're one of these people going, oh, for goodness sakes, can we stop dwelling on the God only knows? It's overrated tosh. If you think that, I'd love to hear from you today. We've got another 10 minutes or so on this. 0207 224 2000. We're uh, comparing the Beach Boys version of God Only Knows from uh, Pet Sounds. A wonderful album that was a flop in the States. Massive over here. But it, it kind of killed the uh, it, it kind of killed the Beach Boys career in the States. Really. Versus the Petra Hayde version. Is there anybody listening to this right now? I could end that sentence there and it would still be valid. But no, is there anybody listening to this right now who preferred the newer version? I don't want this to be a landslide in favour of the Beach Boys. Is there anybody going, well, actually, do you know what? Yeah, that Petra Hayden a cappella version was, was marvellous. I do, it, it sends shivers down my spine, her version. And I'm wondering, is it just because of the technical skill? You know, the, 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 the thoughts that's gone into it. 0207 224 2000. Uh, Wayne's from Buckhurst. Well, Buckhurst Hill. Hello, Wayne. Hello there. Wayne, what, 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 are you gonna, is this another vote for the Beach Boys? <laughs> well, yeah, I hate the song. It's probably the most oh. annoying track on Pet Sound. Ha- well, hang on a second, Wayne. Whoa, before I ask you to step outside for a punch-up, you don't like the song. No, I'd love her to sing Wouldn't It Be Nice. Oh, yeah, that would be good. But she's a bit of a Maria McCabe, as you said, Bobby McFadden. Um, I think it would be better if she'd have recorded something less commercial. Okay. 
The trouble is with uh, the song, it's so familiar, over-familiar, yep. and it's more or less their benchmark. And, and, and although I hate the song, and, uh, and it's probably the, the, the frailty of the album, it's become almost... You mustn't say you don't like the song. Mm. But I think she's had a good attempt, nice little bit of self-indulgency on her part, um, do, you, do you think it's showing off a little bit? Going, look, look, look yeah. what I can do, everybody. Yeah, you said it. Yeah. But as I say, I, I actually think that it would be great if she'd attempted a different song on the album. Do you really think that God Only Knows is, is the weak point on the album? I, I, Most definitely. Because I, I think the two... In, I, I, love, I love the Beach Boys, but I think the two instrumental tracks, and also I know there's I preferred, an answer. I prefer the instrumental tracks to that. Isn't that interesting? It's a real downer. It's, it's probably one of the most depressing kind of Phil Spector... Uh, kind of copy Gold Star Records where they recorded it they had all the equipment in the world it's like a big cream cake what do we do and that's the difference the girls version probably I prefer the Beach Boys because I'm more familiar with it but the Whatever the girls are, I've never heard of her actually. She's good, Petra Hayden. She she is excellent. See, but you find that song depressing. That was the first dance we had at my so wedding. Therefore, a song that's depressing yeah. and annoying has become even more annoying and depressing. <laughs> Unfortunately, it'd be great to have heard her do something else. Uh, I must look into her other work. F- try and find "I Can See for Miles" by the Who, because she does a cracking version uh, uh, of that. Wayne, listen, thank you very much indeed. Well, Wayne finds that song the the weak point on the whole Pet Sounds album. Wow, I, I would say Pet Sounds is great. I, I, I think it's slightly overrated. I think the Beach Boys have done better albums. Sunflower, anybody? Surfs up. Um, but uh, well, listen, we're talking about God Only Knows by the Beach Boys. Let, let's have a listen to the Beach Boys version again. Here's, here's a little snatch. Oh, we'll, 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 we'll get that up in a, in a second. Just to remind you, it's the, the Beach Boys versus Petra Hayden. Let's have a little listen to the Beach Boys again. I may not always love you But long as there are stars above you you never need to doubt it. I'll make you so sure. So that's the famous version, the version that our last caller, uh, well, he hates the song. I'm, I'm mortified. This is what it's up against. A completely a cappella. This is Petra Hayden, a, a singer from New York. I could be flogging the proverbial here. I, I, I really want... We've got another four or five minutes on this. I would love someone to give me a call, 0207 224 2000, who prefers that last version. I, the more I listen to it, the more I'm kind of thinking, well, actually, I think perhaps I do prefer it. it what she's done is so clever. Maybe it's too clever. Do, do you think it is a little bit of... You know, she's kind of showing off. I, I think she did it because someone challenged her to do it. Said, I bet you can't do that, Petra. And she went, all right, yeah, give, give us a few days. It may have taken a little bit longer than a few days. 0207 224 2000. But bearing in mind, the Beach Boys version was the first dance at my wedding. Jeff's from Farnborough. Hello, Jeff. Uh, I've forgotten your name. Is, uh, Jeff, don't worry, it's Ian. My, my yeah. mum barely remembers it these days, so don't don't worry. I, I just think you picked the wrong record. Um, oh. Too many good versions. Well, the, the Beach Boys version is just definitive. 
can't agree with Wayne in Buckhurst Hill, but it, it could be said to be a bit depressing. Um, isn't that interesting, Jeff? Because I, I, I can't agree with Wayne at all. But I, I, for me, this song isn't depressing. It isn't bleak. It's, it's joyous. It's uplifting. It's a wonderful celebration of life and love. Yeah, yeah. But I, I mean, it, it's almost like a studio gimmick record. What, what she's done with it. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think it doesn't add anything to the song. She hasn't changed the time. She hasn't. She's just more or less tried to say, look. I can do what the Beach Boys do without adding anything to it. Jeff, is it one of those songs that you just shouldn't touch? You you should leave well alone because the original version is so perfect. No, I think you can have a go at it, but change it. Move it, move move things around, change the time, do something with it. Have you heard something to it? Have you heard the David Bowie version? Not familiar with it. No, he he had a go. It's flipping awful. He, he, he tried to well he he bowified it and to be honest I think he I think he absolutely ruined it he made it into a, a, a real stinker but I, listen I, I, you're right I can't agree with that um, that last caller that the, the, the pet sounds the, the, it's one of the worst songs on pet sounds Jeff that's that's heresy isn't it pretty much yeah I mean it's not the worst <laughs> uh, no I, I, and do you agree? I, I think pet sounds I think it's a cracking record it's a, it's a cracking record it's a little bit I mean, overrated though isn't it. Came along and it was absolutely brilliant. And then it, now it's a lot of it sounds very dated, and, and not it, it hasn't stood the time the time very well. It's almost like Brian Wilson went through every type of American music on there, do what, and then added bits that he could do. Jeff, uh, thank you very much indeed. I, uh, listen, I'm a huge Beach Boys fan. I've always thought Pet Sounds is a, is wonderful. It's a cracking record. Of course it is. It's superb. But I, I, I don't think it's the Beach Boys... Um, I don't think it's their strongest. I thoroughly recommend you go and check out Sunflower, which, which for me... Is, is, is the great lost Beach Boys record. It's a wonderful thing. Well, there we go. I, I, we struggled and we failed. Couldn't find one caller that preferred the Petra Hayden version. So I, I, I think we have to say, hands down, it's the Beach Boys version. I did toy with bringing in the David Bowie uh, cover of, of God Only Knows. It's a stinker. It's a real stinker. Lots of you have been texting in as well. Uh, the reason I chose that song is because it was my first dance at my wedding. I've been asking, what was your first dance or your wedding, was there any controversy? My mother-in-law, when we uh, suggested that song, she went, oh, yeah, that's a good idea, Googled the lyrics and came back and went, oh, no, 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 you can't play that. The first line, I may not always love you. We went with it in the end. Anyway, um, Paul uh, has uh, texted in, after an up-and-down romance, my cousin's wedding uh, first dance was ever fallen in love with someone you shouldn't have fallen in love with by the Buzzcocks. Really? Really? Luckily, yeah, three years hence, they are totally happy. Uh, Ian, the first song played on our wedding night was Marvin's Let's Get It On. Oh, dear, it's sexy. It's a sexy song, isn't it? It's a raunchy song. Jolly Good Time was had by all. That's Robert uh, from Beckton. Uh, and Jill from Wallington here. My friend's first song at her wedding was I Love You Best When You Say Nothing At All, Boy Zone. It was her favourite record. But her husband picked it, and it went down like a lead balloon. First row. Oh, dear. You can send me a text, 81333. Start your text, London. You can give me a call, 0207 
224-2000. Coming up after the news, Mark Corbett-Weaver, the CEO of the London Firebird Orchestra, here to tell me all about the orchestra and what they're up to. This is Ian Lee on BBC London 94.9. A gang of Romanian robbers who carried out violent raids on Asian jewellery shops across London have been sentenced to a total of 82 years in prison today. The Old Bailey heard that the men targeted stores in Wembley, Ilford, East Ham, Southwark and Haringey throughout 2012. Further talks are taking place in a bid to avert two 24-hour strikes by drivers on the Jubilee line. Members of the RMT and ASLEF unions are set to walk out on the 2nd of April and again on the 2nd of May in a dispute over claims of bullying and poor facilities. In the next hour, the verdicts will be returned in the inquest into the death of six people killed in a huge tower block fire in south-east London. Three children were among those who died in the blaze at Lackanell House in Camberwell in July 2009. And the government of South Africa says the former president, Nelson Mandela, has been admitted to hospital with a recurrence of a lung infection. A statement said Mr Mandela, who is 94, was admitted shortly before midnight local time. London's weather, cloudy with wintry showers at times, especially in the east. Areas in the west are more likely to stay dry. Some bright or sunny intervals too, but with a biting easterly breeze. A high of 6 degrees Celsius, 43 degrees Fahrenheit. With the BBC London 94.9 travel delays of up to 15 minutes for East Midlands trains due to a signal problem near Bedford and a signal problem at Reading means delays of 30 minutes for First Great Western heading out of Paddington to Reading and Didcot Parkway for Oxford and the West Country. Broken down lorry earlier on the North Circular at the eastern side of the Hangar Lane geratory system has been cleared but it's left long delays for the North Circular in its wake. Southbound queues now back to the M1 at Staples Corner. The congestion around the geratory uh, led to northbound delays and the North Circular still heavy coming up from Gunnersbury Lane. It's also looking slow southbound for the North Circular, heading into those roadworks near Queen's Parade by North Ealing Station with congestion back to Hanger Hill Park. Up in North London, a lane blocked on Conduit Lane, the A1055, uh, out of the Kenninghall Road Junction up to the Meridian Way roundabout. Uh, the accident blocking one lane just to the north of the North Circular. And in Whitechapel, uh, A11, subject to an accident eastbound just after Cambridge Heath Road. It's just been cleared, uh, but it wasn't causing too much in the way of delay in the area there. Broken down lorry on the A23 Streatham High Road, southbound just after the lights at Streatham Common North, still causing delays back to Mitcham Lane. Earlier northbound delays in North Holt for the Parkway, however, at the White Hart roundabout, the junction with the Ryslip Road, have cleared uh, the accident in the inside lane by the Shell Garage has also been moved. Pippa Sparks, BBC London 94.9, the next travel at 2. BBC London 94.9 at the weekend. What you love and hate about your partner, 3, 2, 1, go. Jenny Barnett on Sunday. I'll start with what I don't like about him, because that's easier. And what do I love about him? Everything. Oh. As you were dancing, you were sexy, sensuous, absolutely sassy. OK, Ali, you can go. <laughs> Jenny Barnett. How do you see yourself? I mean, your partner must get irritated by you, mustn't he? <laughs> How rude. I've only been here for ten minutes. You're like, God, as you, long you as were... that. Sunday mornings from nine. I would rather die happy alone in Instead of unhappy in a relationship that I'm not happy with. That's food for thought, my angel. And the cheque is in the post. Thank you, my darling. <laughs> On BBC London 94.9. Looking back over my shoulder, I can 
dear listener, this is Ian Lee, BBC London 94.9, filling in for Robert Elms here until three o'clock. Lots coming up between now and three o'clock, including uh, my next guest, who's Mark Corbett-Weaver, the Artistic Director and CEO of the London Firebird Orchestra. Hello, Mark. Hello, though. Whenever I see CEO... I, I expect, like, an old man to come shuffling in. And you're, you're very young. You're, you're so young. Absolutely. The orchestra is also very young um, in terms of its age and also in terms of, um, well, the, the, the age of the players themselves as well. We we started uh, last year in March 2012. Right. And uh, we've had a really exciting first year. Um, in fact, uh, one of the reasons I'm talking to you today, of course, is our concert at the Royal Festival Hall, which is taking place on Monday, April Fool's Day, um, at four o'clock, which is a comedy concert. Um and uh, actually, just after we founded the orchestra last year in March, in April, we were invited to to, to give a similar concert, mm. um, which took place at the Queen Elizabeth Hall. Um, and that was also in collaboration with the wonderful comedian conductor, Raina Hirsch. Raina Hirsch who, is, is wonderful. You said something there, that, that after we founded the orchestra... How do you found an orchestra? That seems like, you know, so I struggle to get a band together, you know, to play some <laughs> songs in a pub. How do you found an orchestra? Um, with a mission, I think, probably, um, particularly as there are so many orchestras all over the world. Um, it's important that the orchestra has a, a strong mission and a clear voice. Um, both myself and um, my, my partner, Akim Holub, who is the orchestra's uh, principal conductor, um, have, have set up orchestras in the past. Mm. So um, with, with this particular orchestra, we had a, a very clear... Um, view of what we wanted to do, um, which is really all about uh, young musicians. Um, if you think about um, many of the the professions that we have today, medicine, law, etc., um, uh, you, you don't suddenly become um, a surgeon or a, a leading barrister or, or anything like that. You, you know, there's a, um, a, a but there is a clear journey to. Mm that point um, and I think what we really feel about the music profession is um, okay there are many clear journeys to many points but um, they really are quite challenging and um, the, the the path that one can follow um, is, is not immediately obvious mm. um, so we think it's important that there are um, young orchestras for the most gifted young musicians that there are around How young are these people in the orchestra? College leavers just leaving the places like the Royal Academy, the Royal College of right. Music, Guildhall Trinity um, and international places as well there are lots of lots of young musicians come to london i suppose because um the, the music uh, scene here is so huge mm. that uh, people are attracted to come to london um but they, they, they you, these places you're saying they're good musicians because some people might think oh young orchestra could be a little bit ropey these are properly well-trained the people. most gifted but yeah i mean if you think of you, you know to make the comparison game with medicine and law i mean you, you wouldn't suddenly be let loose on you know um someone's heart or or lungs or something would you um I mean, obviously there are, you know, um, lots and lots of superstars out there that um, are lucky enough to immediately um, be invited to play in something like the the London Symphony Orchestra, but um, I think it's quite rare. Um, And so the the question everyone has, which I'm sure everyone can understand really, is what do you do as soon as you leave music college? Mm. Um, And we feel that there should be orchestras um, for people as they leave music college. So how do you recruit these people? Um, it's a small world. Um, it's a very exciting world. Um, um, I mean, I was at the Royal College myself. I was a pianist uh, at the, the RCM a few years ago. So um, 
uh, and I, you know, the, the world that we operate in, everybody knows everybody, I suppose, mm. like like in, in in other similar arts professions. So um, we audition. We we're always looking for the best, the, the most talented that we can. People come to us and say, look, we, we've heard wonderful things about the orchestra. We'd like to play. Um, it, it operates like that at the moment. In that we're very young and uh, mm. we've still got a long way to go. And the, it, I would imagine it's difficult. You, you've got you've got young people playing in, in the orchestra. Do you have young people coming to see you because there is still kind of this this, this this slightly misplaced snobbery about classical music that young people don't seem to be that interested in it. Yeah, but that's exactly what we're trying to break down. And I think the concert on Monday is very much about that. Um, it's It's... If you fuse classical music with comedy, which is what we're doing on on Monday, then you say something to everybody because mm. um, you're you're sending up the musical world um, in a complimentary way often, um, which is always a wonderful thing to do. Um, you're also embracing the fact that classical music is absolutely all around us mm. um, on the television, the, the background music to films, etc., and many many other ways. Um, advertisements, obviously, being the the obvious thing. Um, you're also talking in a language which everybody can understand. Stand, that being comedy so everyone can get something out of it and for those that aren't perhaps necessarily immediately interested in classical music you've got a new way in there so how are you fusing comedy with classical music and, and, and presenting it in a way because again there is this 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 incorrect thing oh classical music it's just for for, for middle class upper class people how are you kind of ex- expanding on that well um, it's very much Rainer's concept Rainer Hirsch yep. um, who is just explain Rainer Hirsch for those who don't know absolutely who he is, and he's Rainer wonderful is is the biggest thing in classical music and comedy. Mm. Um, this wonderful artistic movement we've got at the moment. Rainer is the, the leading voice in that, I think, really. Um, and uh, he's um, hosting the, the the show on Monday afternoon at the Royal Festival Hall. This at is the Clock. April Fool's Day comedy concert. Absolutely, yeah. the April Fool's Day comedy com- concert, um, which is a similar thing to what we did last year. I mean, we're, uh, we've got a bit of an annual thing going on. Um, we, we did it at the Queen Elizabeth Hall last year, which, of course, is slightly smaller than the Royal Festival Hall. Um, that sold out. Over 900 people came, which was fantastic. Um, now we're, we're doing it at the Royal Festival Hall. Um, Rainer is a comedian, but he's also a classical musician as well. Mm. So um, he's a stand-up comedian who's also a pianist and conductor. Um, and uh, you ask how this is done. It's done in a range of different ways. Um, uh, he sends up classical music itself. Um, he also plays on um, stereotypes, I suppose, and, and breaks down barriers there, which is incredibly funny to see. I mean, it's hysterically funny mm. last year. Uh, I mean, people were almost literally rolling in the aisles. So um, we're all very excited about it. The other thing that this does, though, is it's also very attractive to children. It's not directly targeted at children. It's very much a universal concept. But um, children get a lot out of it. Mm. And it's very suitable for children. And that is really important, too, because... um, And and that you touch on, you you know, with our young orchestra. um, We think it's extremely important to, to be looking for the next generation of young musicians. So... Um, what we're doing with this is is, is very much doing that, is inspiring um, young young people, children through comedy um, to be perhaps interested in the musical world. You're right. I've got a boy, two boys, three and one, and I took my three year old to see a concert at the Royal Festival. I think it was the London Philharmonic who do kids concerts, and uh, he was a bit terrified going into this huge arena. And but for him to see. We've always thought it was really important from a young age for him to see live music, music being made, not just coming out of a little black box, music being made and being made by an orchestra. It blew his tiny mind, you know, seeing all of this and hearing this huge noise. Uh, 
and it is. I think it's interesting. You're saying you're trying to get kids to come along as well and and teach them. There is nothing to be afraid of with classical music. There is nothing to be afraid of of the orchestra. That it's a wonderful thing that everyone it, can share. With, it's share almost in. the opposite of being afraid, actually, because I mean, playing in an orchestra is a collaborative, friendly thing to do. Everybody is playing together, making one of the most talking in the, one of the most wonderful languages that there is on the planet. That being music, and classical music, I think is a is a terrible word because it doesn't really mean anything. Yeah. Um, it's just the word that we use to describe music that can be anything, mm. um, music that can express anything at all, um, and and therefore it's it's a central art form really, and that's why it's so much. I mean, could you imagine world without music? So therefore, I, I think that children really must be inspired to to see music. What we're doing with Firebird, of course, is is two things. Firstly, um, the orchestra is young in terms of its age, um, and therefore you, you know that the, these people are, are not tremendously older than the children who are mm. watching them, uh, which of course is a great thing. Uh, and then also with the comedy as well, it, it, attracting people through comedy. Mark, listen, look, tea, tea and coffee's arrived. I suggest that we take a little break, we'll play a song, we'll come back, we'll discuss more about your, the, the orchestra and more about uh, the, the concert that's happening and give out the details. Here's the Pretenders. Maybe tomorrow, maybe someday, maybe tomorrow, maybe someday. 
Filling in for Robert Elms, BBC London 94.9. If you want to take part at any point in the show, by the way, feel free to. If you, if you want to join in any of the conversations I'm having, 0207 224 2000 is the telephone number. It'd be nice to talk to you. Or you can send me a cheeky text, 81333. Start your text with the word uh, London. I'm joined now by Mark Corbett-Weaver, Artistic Director of the London Firebird Orchestra. It's an orchestra, Mark, you're saying, for, for younger people um, to, to kind of to, to give them a break in show business. Uh, where did the name Firebird come from? Is that is that significant in any way? Um, absolutely. Um, you, we... You've got a smirk on your face. It's not something dirty, is it? <laughs> I don't want any dirty stories on, um, on here. I, I mean, you know, there are so many orchestras, as I was saying before, all over the world. Um, uh, we have a special orchestra and we wanted to give it a special name. Mm. We love the name Firebird. Um, it, it conjures up, um, you know, the idea of energy and, and passion and fire and um, all sorts of things. And also progression as well, which is, is, is very much a concept that the orchestra is is very much about also it's an unusual name we were one of our recent reviews um described um as the oddly named london firebird orchestra which i absolutely love because um it's not a name that you've you would forget yeah and we're nicknaming it firebird as well so um are there are there in the orchestra are there um cliques i mean do the do the violinists look down on percussion is there anything like that? any little rivalries within an orchestra absolutely all sorts of wonderful Ooh, cliques, good. all sorts of little little relationships kicking in, and um, <laughs> I mean that that's one of the wonderful things about young people, isn't it? Really, so um, different people working together in different ways. Um, um, everybody gets on wonderfully. I mean, it's a really great band of players, and we're mm. we're all really looking forward to our first concert at the Royal Festival Hall, which is taking place um, at four o'clock um, on Monday afternoon. This is the April Fool's Day comedy concert. Absolutely, uh, it, it, it's the I, I I introduced the London Philharmonic. Um, I, it was one of them. I think it was them <laughs> at the Royal Festival Hall. I made the mistake of saying this is one of the best bands I've worked with. They don't like being called a band. Don't call them a band. They get very snooty. Oh, okay, I, I'll try not to. <laughs> they get very snooty. So this is this is happening. This is uh, in aid of the musicians' benevolent fund. It's a great lineup you've got there. The Ukulele Orchestra of Great Britain, who really have been, um, they've kind of made, uh, well, they, they've reinvigorated the ukulele, haven't they? Okay, another wonderfully unusual concept yeah. um, and an incredibly successful wit. Have you seen them before? Um, I, I've never worked with them before. The, the um, I've, I've seen them before, really yeah. looking forward to, I haven't actually met any of them yet, but uh, we're, we're, we're starting rehearsals on, on Saturday right. um, in central London and we're, we're really excited. They're um, brilliant. I love them. Alistair McGowan. What's Alistair McGowan going to um, do? Alistair is also a wonderful comedian yes. and a very talented vocalist and of course we've also got uh, um, Marc-Andre as well um, Marc-Andre Hamlin who uh, will be joining us as well as a further guest he's also a comedian and right. uh, pianist so um, so treats all round really So are you on stage for the whole the whole concert? Are you The orchestra is largely on the stage The house band the, the, Yes, the house <laughs> band to use that term again yep. um, and um, yes so you're fusing all sorts of different things here really comedy being the, uh, the, the operative 
one, of course. Um, and, and then Firebird is, is looking forward to its next concert, which mm. takes place um, at St Paul's Covent Garden on the 17th of, of, of April. Um, and for that, we're, we're welcoming a, a, a sort of bit of a success story, really. Lexi Caselli of her very, very talented cellist, who um, we, we all celebrate hugely because he's um, uh, just for, for about a year and a bit now been the principal cellist of the Royal Scottish National Orchestra. Mm. So there you've got um, a young musician who's really made it. Um, and everybody really. <laughs> I, I, I don't like cellists. I'll tell you why I don't like cellists. No, I'll tell you why. Because I used to play the cello as a kid at school. Uh, and, I, of course, when I, when I got to 12 years old and went to grammar school, they said, well, you can carry on having cello lessons, but you'll have to give up your lunch breaks. I went, yeah, get out of town. That's never happening. One of the biggest mistakes of my life was giving... <laughs> I, I wish my parents had forced me to carry on learning and playing the cello because it's such an amazing-sounding instrument. And when it's played well, oh, the cello is just incredible, I think. Absolutely. And Alexi's playing the Vorjack Cello Concerto at St Paul's Covent Garden with us on the 17th of, of April. Uh, full details of that concert um, are viewable on our website, which is firebirdorchestra.com. Um, if people want to come to that, we, we'd be delighted to, to have them there. You know that... I'm going to ask a question that's going to make me sound like an idiot, but I don't mind doing that, Mark, because uh, I'm sure... Be, you know the conductor... Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> do they really do any? Do you, could the orchestra function without the conductor? Well, which is one of um, one of the many things that can be sent up in a comedy concert, I suppose, right. is is the role of different things in classical music. Yeah. Um, a conductor is obviously hugely important. Drives the passion of the orchestra. Um, is is the interpreta- interpretational um, head of? Could an orchestra sound different? With a different conductor in front of them. Totally and utterly. Really? Yeah. Um, which is, is, is interesting to see, actually, in many mm. ways. Um, uh, I mean, our, our principal conductor, Akim Holub, um, who, who co-founded the orchestra with me, um, has a, a very distinctive style. Um, he's Austrian, has a, um, a great... What sets um, him apart? What, what, what's, what's his style? What's so unique about his conducting um, skills? Well, he, he embraces um, the classical um, era hugely. Um, I suppose being Austrian... Um, uh, wonderful interpretations of Mozart and Beethoven. Mm. Um, great passion, huge connection with the orchestra, um, a wonderful, inspiring heart, which um, I think comes across hugely in performance. And also he's... And, and this is what is exciting about mm. an orchestra like Firebird, is that you can take risks. Mm. You, because it's not... Um, you know, it's slightly more relaxed in terms of its setting. So, um, and that is, you know, one of the exciting things about music, you know, where you've got something live. You can do things differently. Um, you can... You can live on the the edge of the moment in a way. Well, very quickly, what, the, the April Fool's uh, Day comedy concert. It's uh, Monday, April the first, four pm, Royal Festival Hall. Uh, a couple of what pieces of music will you be playing? Will the orchestra be playing? Well, there's a huge amount of repertoire involved with the performance. Actually, um, uh, things that people will recognise, things that people won't recognise. Glinka's wonderful overture to uh, Rosalind and Love Miller, for example, which is a wonderful, wonderful piece. The the thing about this, of course, is it's not really about the rep- repertoire because there's so much of of repertoire. Being being played, you know, perhaps 30 pieces of music, but but short pieces. Mm. Um, it's really about um, what we're saying through the concert, mm. which is so different and so exciting. Give us the website again for, for the uh, the orchestra, please. Um, www.firebirdorchestra.com. Everything about us is on that website. Um, and tickets for the concert on Monday are available from the South Bank website, but they are going fast and last year's concert did sell out, so hurry. We'd love to see you there. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming in. It's, it's, it's always wonderful, inspiring to talk to people who are so passionate about what they do. So thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, Mark Wright. Here's a little bit of Steve Miller. 0207 224 2000. Speak to you after this.
This is Ian Lee, BBC London 94.9. Coming up after two o'clock, we'll be speaking to film critic Anna Smith about trance, good vibrations and one mile away. Looking forward to finding out about those trance in particular. But before that, let's get the latest travel now with Pippa Sparks. Thanks, Ian. Delays of up to 15 minutes for East Midlands trains continue following a signal problem near Bedford and a signal problem in the Reading area means delays of 30 minutes for First Great Western out of Paddington to Reading and Didcot Parkway for Oxford and the West Country. M11 down to one lane southbound Junction 5 at Loughton to Junction 4 for the North Circular at Woodford due to a broken down vehicle. The matrix sign is 50 miles an hour and Derek rang in on 02072242000 reporting a lot of congestion around the Charlie Browns roundabout as a result. So thanks very much for that and if you have any travel news do get in touch you're welcome to call text or tweet us at bbc travel alert broken down lorry earlier on the north circular on the eastern side of the hangar lane geratory system has left delays in its wake the southbound queues at one point back to staples corner they're now back to neeson so they're easing gradually northbound delays coming up from gunnersbury lane and north circular in the area still slow southbound heading into the roadworks near queen's parade by north ealing station pippa sparks bbc london 94.9 the next travel at 2 30. On 94.9 FM, DAB, satellite and online. London's news, London stories. BBC London 94.9. London's news at two o'clock. I'm Richard Main. Good afternoon. A gang of Romanians who stole more than a million pounds worth of jewellery from shops across London last year have been jailed for a total of 82 years at the Old Bailey. The ten men targeted Asian jewellery stores in the violent raids before burying their stolen goods near King's Cross Station to avoid police detection. In the next hour, the verdicts will be returned in the inquests into the deaths of six people killed in a huge tower block fire in south-east London four years ago. Three children were among those who died in the blaze at Lackenall House in Camberwell in July 2009. The jury at Lambeth Town Hall heard ten weeks of evidence before retiring to consider their verdict last week. The police watchdog says the former chief constable of West Yorkshire would have a case to answer for gross misconduct over the Hillsborough inquiry if he was still a serving police officer. The Independent Police Complaints Commission says Sir Norman Bettison tried to interfere with his referral to them last year before he resigned from his job. He'd been accused of involvement in a South Yorkshire police cover-up following the deaths of 96 Liverpool fans in Hillsborough 24 years ago. Sir Norman denies the claim, but Conservative MP Alex Shelbrook says if there's a case to answer, it should be heard. Let's try and find a mechanism where Sir Norman can go and actually put his side of the case and defend this. He obviously feels he's completely innocent of these charges. Um, I don't think it's acceptable for the Hillsborough families for this now to just become the end of it and he walks away and leaves it hanging in the air. Two children have been rescued from a house fire in northwest London started by hair straighteners. The boys, aged four and five, were taken to hospital suffering smoke inhalation after the fire in Pinner. The London Fire Brigade said a woman at the address left the straighteners on a pile of clothes while she went to answer the door last night. Banks in Cyprus have reopened for the first time in nearly two weeks, but customers are only able to withdraw €300 Euros a day under tough conditions imposed in an international bailout. Billions of euros have been put into bank branches in recent days to cope with demand. There are queues outside branches in the capital Nicosia, and police have been deployed to keep order. As well as limits on withdrawals, there are also restrictions on the amount of money that can be taken out of the country, and cheques can't be cashed. The authorities in Cyprus and Brussels say these restrictions are temporary, although it's unclear how long they'll last. 
David Cameron's having a small reshuffle of his ministerial team. It includes a new job for the Conservative Energy Minister who clashed with his Liberal Democrat boss over wind farms. Here's Alan Sodi. As an energy minister, John Hayes was outspoken on the spread of onshore wind farms, once saying, enough is enough only to be publicly slapped down by the Lib Dem Energy Secretary, Ed Davey. He'll now become David Cameron's senior parliamentary adviser, the link man between the PM and his backbenchers. It follows rifts between Mr Cameron and some of his MPs on issues such as gay marriage and House of Lords reform. His energy brief will be taken over by another Conservative, Michael Fallon, who will combine it with his job as a business minister. A London GP has raised concerns about routine testing of patients to assess their genetic risk of getting cancer. A landmark study has identified dozens of genetic markers which could see tests within the next five years. Dr Lawrence Buckman has welcomed the findings but says getting a result from these tests could have far-reaching consequences. Unfortunately, I think there are ethical issues about telling people that they don't yet have something. There are certainly behavioural issues. People will become depressed and anxious. I still think on balance it, the benefits outweigh the bad, but I think we, you need to think very long and hard before doing these things. We already counsel people about having HIV tests, and I, I think you need to be careful before you stick a label on yourself, particularly a label about something you don't yet have. Members of the NUJ and BEC2 unions at the BBC have started a 12-hour strike in protest at job cuts and alleged bullying and harassment. The General Secretary of the NUJ said spending cuts had caused unacceptable workloads and stress. The BBC apologised for the disruption and said that it could not promise to postpone compulsory redundancies. And the former WBA World Heavyweight Champion, David Hay, has announced he will return to the ring in Manchester on the 13th of June. The 32-year-old from South London had been stripped of his British boxing licence following a brawl with Derek Chisora at a press conference in Munich last February. It's not yet been announced who Hay will fight. In the city a few moments ago, the FTSE was up 39 points at 64.26. On to London's weather now, here's Elizabeth Rizzini. It's a cloudier afternoon, but still some spells of brightness. We may just see one or two very light wintry showers towards southern areas in particular, but otherwise mostly dry through the rest of the day. Temperatures today, 5 or 6 degrees Celsius, that's 43 in Fahrenheit. We've still got that northeasterly breeze too, making it feel really very bitter. Now into this evening and overnight, the breeze will ease slightly. We'll see a widespread frost into tomorrow morning, some clear spells, temperatures dropping to minus 2 or minus 3 degrees Celsius. You want to watch out for some ice towards eastern areas of the capital into tomorrow morning and then tomorrow much the same sort of day but I think we will see a much cloudier morning again the chance of the odd light wintry flurry in places highs of four or five degrees BBC London 94.9 it's now five past two BBC London 94.9 London's news London's stories She was mine. 
Filling in for Robert Elms on BBC London 94.9. If you want to take part in the show, and we are asking today, after I, I, I played God Only Knows, which was my first dance at my wedding, which songs did you choose as your first dance? Which song did you choose? And was there any um, kind of tension? My mother-in-law was furious that I chose God Only Knows because the first line is, I may not always love you. Uh, she thought it was slightly portentous. Uh, you can get in touch on the phone, 0207 224 or you can send a text, 81333. Start your text uh, with London. Uh, a few people have uh, been in touch. Gavin from Greenwich. Uh, my first dance of my wedding was Betcha by Golly Wow by Prince. Not my choice, but very little in our relationship has been my choice since. Oh, Gavin, that's, uh, that's disappointing. Get out while you still can. And Kerry says, our first dance was the classic Dirty Dancing. I've had the time of my life. We're still living up to the song and very much in love. Isn't that, isn't that romantic? Because I'll be honest, a few weeks into the marriage, the romance goes. I don't want to be all cynical, but it does. Uh, I'm joined now by film critic Anna Smith. Hello, Anna. Hello. This is actually, we're discussing this. This is your job. You get paid to go and watch films and then talk about that them. That is what I do. I write sometimes as well. <gasps> write and talk about films. How awesome is that? It is very awesome, I have to say. Absolutely love it. Can, yeah, can, can absolutely you, love it. Can you introduce me to, like, I, I wouldn't mind being in on this. Well, I don't want you to see my job. That's the only thing. Um, maybe I could just sit to chatting to you about it. Would that be all right? That's a little bit unfair. Mm. OK, what have we got first? Trance, I Trance. think. Trance, yes. This is Danny Boyle's new film. Yes. Starring James McAvoy as a guy who works in Art Auction House. And he is part of a heist that goes wrong, ends up with a big bump on the head, ends up in a coma, wakes up, can't remember where the stolen painting is. Cue big problem because these gangsters, led by Vincent Cassell, the great French actor, want to get the truth out of him and are torturing him to try and find out. I saw the trailer for yes. this before the uh, latest masterpiece by Bruce Willis, the new uh, Die Hard <laughs> film. Yes. We had a big argument. We're not going to carry this argument on air, but I think you're wrong. I think the new Die Hard film is a masterpiece. It's definitely one of the best. We're never going to agree on this, are we? We're not going to no. agree. But so I you saw... saw the trailer. Uh, yeah, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> oh, there's a tension. There is a tension in the air. We have completely nothing in common when it comes to films. I saw the trailer for Trance, and I like Danny Boyle. Yes, uh, but I just thought, oh, oh, someone's had a bump on the head and has forgotten where the picture is, and then they get hypnotised, and then it's. Uh, the, 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 am I right in thinking that a lot of this film is about because he's he's hypnotised? Mm-hmm. 
we don't quite know what's actually exactly. happening and what's imagined. Truth, reality, blurred. Rosario Dawson is great as this Harley Street hypnotist who yep. is brought in to try and help get the truth out of him. But what's interesting, it's not just about hypnosis, it's about the dynamic between this woman and the criminals and James McAvoy's character, Simon. So you've got all these dynamics going on, you know, sexual dynamics, everything to do with power games, power play, cat and mouse games. So it's, it's a, it is a genuine thriller. It moves from being a heist thriller into a psychological thriller. And yes, you are a bit confused at points, as the name indicates, as to what is happening and what is reality she puts him under a trance are we part of that trance are we oh. experiencing that trance are we seeing it objectively subjectively I kind of like that because I like that psychological thing and I'm also a fan of Darren Brown and all that kind of you yeah. know that hypnosis and everything uh, do, do we, okay without giving away the ending obviously mm-hmm. Do we do we get the answer at the end? Because well, I don't like films where you come out scratching your head, going, "Well, I'm not sure." What? It's like Inception. I liked Inception, but right. the ending they, they didn't they didn't give me a clear cut ending. I'm going to be absolutely honest. You're not going to like this film. Oh, Some people nuts. will, but you are not, because I was awake that night for a long time trying to work out what right. happened. And sometimes I thought, "Okay, that was brilliant. That was a stroke of brilliance." And other yeah. times I'm thinking, "Hang on, that didn't add up. I'm not sure." Mm. But it gets you thinking, and I enjoyed that. It's good for sort of post cinema pub chat. I don't, I, don't go to the, I don't go to the cinema to think. <laughs> well, then, don't go see trance. But everyone else, go see trance. <laughs> and also, another thing that frustrates me about this, I've not even seen it, listen, how rude am I dis- dis- dissing a whole man's work, is I used, to, I used to be a hypnotist. I used to do stage hypnotist. Don't look into my eyes. I did eyes. not know that. No, this is true. I, used to, I worked for Paul I'm McKenna. very suggestible, so... I, well, <laughs> good for you. Uh, and I, I did used to be a hypnotist. And I know kind of what the rules of hypnosis are. I know that when you're hypnotised you kind of know what's going on and it's all a little bit... You're kind of in a in a deal with the hypnotist and it's all... You're a little bit compliant, but you don't ever black out and you're not in some weird fantasy world. So I, I would imagine that this isn't grounded in reality for I'm me. I'm sure that's the truth. I was thinking that earlier. Every film I watch about a journalist or a film critic, I think, no, that's not realistic. Yeah. And hypnotists probably would watch this and pick it to pieces. But as someone that only has a sort of amateurish interest, <laughs> I enjoyed it. But that's probably... You're probably, probably right. Yeah. What was, what was Danny Boyle's last film? It wasn't the 127 Hours. Yes, it was, yes. was that the last one? Yeah. Because that I, uh, was kind of very claustrophobic and, and, and mm-hmm. you know, by the very nature of a man being trapped in between two rocks for, for five days or whatever it was, you know, is it, it, very solitary. This film looked huge. You know, it looks like a big blockbuster. It starts off like a big blockbuster. Mm. It's very slick, you know, all this running around, lots of action, heist scenes. Um, it becomes much more interior and much smaller film because it becomes very much about Rosario Dawson's character and James McAvoy's character with a few kind of people on the side. So basically, um, it is not as epic as it might seem, okay. but it's very interesting. Is Danny Boyle going to be offered Bond? That's the rumour that's going around. Well, there was talk of that, but I think he's sort of saying no, but I, I wouldn't like to quote him on that. Is that not him just playing playing it cool? Surely everyone, every director Possibly. Yeah, it's like the actors that say, oh, well, I couldn't possibly comment, you know. Um, But uh, I do not know, I'm afraid. I cannot give you the scoop on that one. But it'd be good, though, don't you think? Danny Boyle, Bond? I think it would be good. I do worry about Danny Boyle, I'm sure. You (laughs) worry frequently. I do worry a lot. I watched, um, what was that early film he did? Um... With with the the money, the stolen money, yeah, shallow grave, shallow grave. Yeah. It didn't stand the test of time. Right. It looked ve- it looked like a sort of early nineties student kind of film. Well, it was one of his, you know, oh, and, and very early film, yeah. very early and great at the time. And I just just wonder if if, if his films are of a certain time. That's an interesting point. Mm. Yeah. Although Train Spotting stands up, I think. Does it? I've not seen it for yeah. a while. Does it? Yeah, does that it does. stand up? Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
Okay, well, that's uh, that's Trance. That's out now, is it? Yes, it came out a couple of days ago. It came out on Wednesday, so you can watch it okay, at this well, second. You can go and see this very, very... Yeah. I'd wait until three o'clock. No, hang on, I'd wait. <laughs> no, I, wait. Uh, good Vibrations. Yes. This isn't a, a bio, biopic about Brian Wilson or the Beach Boys. No, it's sadly something... not, but it is a biopic about Terry Hooley, um, the godfather of Belfast punk. Uh, who is Terry Hooley, for those um, who don't know? He started the Good Vibrations record label and Good Vibrations shop in the 70s right. um, to try and bring um, the Northern Irish sounds to the rest of the, to the UK. Mm. Um, and he he found uh, the undertones. He found teenage kicks. So that's how he got his really big break. And he became very much hailed in the local area. And this um, film it's, it's a lovely sort of low budget film, but mm. it's got a great heart. It's lots of enthusiasm, lots of great music. And um, the guy who plays him, Richard Dormer, is excellent. And um, it's just a sweet little story of, of, of you know a small town guy taking on the big guys in the music industry and winning up to a point. It doesn't all go fantastically yeah. well because it's very hard for someone of that level to take on, you know, the big you know, multinational mm. corporations. But um, but it, but it's a cute film, and it's, as I say, it's, it's a really good one for music fans. So he he started he started a record shop, and then yeah. he, he he discovered the undertones. Yeah, basically, he started looking around, and, and he he put on gigs. He was one of these multitasking kind of yeah. music fans that ended up sort of falling into it as a profession, but not making much money, not having much of a business head necessarily. But then he decided, hey, what? Well, let's put some music out, um, and he started doing it. And then yeah, the undertones were one of the big hits that he managed to get and of course John Peel playing them twice on the radio mm. um, is, is what made their name and then what made his name. Well, in some ways we have him to blame for the latest One Direction song which is oh, an dear. awful mashup <laughs> of, of Blondie and the Undertones. Have you heard that? I, I'm happy to say I have not. We'll, we'll, we'll find it and play it to, to you. I'll find oh. you up and play it to you down the phone. Thanks. Dylan Moran's in this film, isn't yes, he? I yes. love Dylan Moran. Yes, I think he's, he's wonderful. Brilliant. Yeah, there's some really good people. And Jodie Whittaker as well in a small role. Um, well, actually, a fairly large role as, as um, his, his wife. And well, what I thought about this film is actually where it, it falls down is when it goes into the characters and their relationships. Um, it, it's a bit skimpy when it comes to the characterisation. So mm. it's more about the fun and the atmosphere and showing how things were. But when it comes to the actual character of this guy, he was still alive. So sometimes it's quite hard to communicate that on. Uh screen, then you don't feel that you get to know him or get to understand his actions that well. I wonder, um, uh, when someone is still alive... Does that person, do you think, I guess they have to be involved with the film and, and the director and the actor playing them must... They often are. I'm sure they were in this case. Yeah. Um, so, no, they don't have to be involved, I'm sure, but you just have to be very careful legally, I well, think, that, what you, you, you say. Would do it. I, I just yeah. think as a director and an actor, you would, you would probably possibly hold back a little bit from the full-on... I think that's Depiction. really valid point, and I think often I find what, what biopics there's a problem with that because they just they're a little nervous about offending the person if they're still alive, and even if they're not, their family and you know being respectful towards the dead. And sometimes I prefer a fictional film for those reasons. Mm. You've not heard One Direction, have you? The uh, undertones, uh, their, their latest no. hit. You can hear a little bit now. Thanks. One way or another, I'm gonna find you. I'm gonna get you, get you, get you, get you one way or another. What do you reckon? Mm, it's a bit thin, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Who'd have thought One Direction could be thin? It's, it's a mashup between Blondie and The Undertones, yes. and it's the weirdest... It's the... Str- I mean, hey, it's for comic relief. Who am I to not one of the biggest charities in, in the country? But it's... Flipping awful. So we, I think that's enough of that. I think we can we Thanks can turn for sharing it, that nonsense off. Is this film any good? If, if people who don't know the story mm-hmm. uh, of this gentleman, will they enjoy the film? I think they'll enjoy it up to a point. It might drag a bit towards the end, but it's worth seeing if you're a music fan, and especially if you want to find out a little bit about music history. So that's good vibrations. Yeah. Is, is that out now? It is out tomorrow. Okay, lovely. Yeah. Listen, uh, Anna, stay there. We're going to have a record. We'll come back and we'll talk about uh, One Mile Away, which I'm uh, very interested in. Here's a bit of Natalie Imbruglia.
Ian Lee sitting in for Robert Elms on BBC London 94.9. If you want to give us a call, if there's any films that you've seen that uh, you, you thoroughly recommend, do give me a call 0207 224 2000. You can send me a text as well, 813, excuse me, start your text with the word London. I'm uh, joined by film critic Anna Smith. Hello, Anna. Hello. You will just, listen, you, you will give me a little secret tip. You've worked out what my, my film <laughs> interest is. I like, I like big... 
bangs and I cannot lie. Yes, and yes. I like them done well. What was that film you were just telling me about? Uh, Olympus Has Fallen. It's a Gerard Butler film oh. where he saves the White House. Can you imagine? That's got everything oh. you could want if you're a fan of Die Hard. Wonderful. Explosions. Gerard Butler being very meaty, wandering around. It's kind of 24, the movie, in oh. a weird sort of way. Maybe when's not as good a- as that would suggest. When's this out? I think it's out in a few weeks yet. Um, probably not even supposed to be talking about it. Oh, that's is it how, top that's how exclusive <clears throat> it is. Okay. But I think it's one for you. There's an umbongo on it. Now, <laughs> uh, one mile away. What's this? This is a documentary which is a very, very important documentary. Um, it's uh, set in Birmingham, made mm. by a woman called Penny Woolcock. And it's about two rival gangs in Birmingham, which are basically there's been years of violence just based on their postcodes. It's it's a census thing. Um, there are the Burgers and the Johnsons based in... One of these gangs, I was surprised, are called the Burger Bars. I know. Burger Boys or something. I know. Yes, it's very, very weird name. Don't ask me why they're called that, but no. that for many years they've been called that. And there has been a great deal of violence mm. and, and deaths and fatalities. Um, and this was actually fictionalised in a film that this director, Penny Wilcock, made a few years ago called One Day. And the great thing about that this film, it had a real effect because it inspired people to come to Penny and say, we want to make peace. So this is a documentary right. about these two guys from different sides, completely different sides, who wouldn't normally talk to each other or be seen anywhere near each other, coming together in secret, filmed by Penny, they trying a, to make it happen. They, and they do have a secret kind of um, meeting, don't they, in a hotel room yes, or something? Yes, and it's all very awkward and weird because, you know, they're not used to shaking hands, they can't really look each other in the eye, it's a very strange experience, and they wouldn't ever go to each other's areas for fear of death, you know. And um, people have died, People have died, many people these... have died. And, it's, and um, one of the limiting things about the film, but one of the interesting things about the film is that they can't show these guys in their own homes. They're filming on street corners, they're filming in hotels, in offices, in secret, mm. for fear um, sometimes of the police, but also sometimes of their own people. Um, and, and it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's at the beginning a very inspiring film because it's absolutely fantastic to see these guys mm. say, look, we've seen what, what you put in this film. And also we're getting to a certain age where, you know, we've lost so many of our friends, we can see this is completely pointless, but what can we do? Um, There's a shot by, with one of the lads by the, the, the few graves. The, the, it's his friends. Very poignant. Very Incredible poignant. Shot. Yeah. And so they go out and they talk to young guys and they try to convince them, you know, because there's all this kind of bravado in the young guys and perhaps they're not valuing life in the way they should do. Um, so they're going talking to them and trying to convince them that, to make peace. But of course, it's a very, very difficult job. Mm. And you've just got a filmmaker and two guys essentially trying to make this happen. So over the course of the film, it does become a little bit repetitive. And you do right. sort of have, have a lot of the same scenes and there's not much variation in locations. But what is interesting that the riots happen in the middle of all this when mm. they're filming it. So it becomes a documentation of that as well. Mm. So, and they're taking this movie out to um, schools and things like that. So it's an it's a important education tool and it's showing in places Does in it have as any well. effect? Because, I, I mean, I've only seen the trailer and I've read a few bits and pieces about this, but, but the, the, the people that are trying to, the, the gang leaders, I don't know if it's the right term, that are trying to make peace, they're saying it's because we're getting a bit older. But then they're trying to tell the younger kids that this is what they should be doing. And there's always that generational gap uh, where the young people don't want to listen to the older people. Do they have any influence on the, the younger people? I think they do. I mean, what's good is that you, as the film progresses, you do see some of the younger um, guys coming through and perhaps rapping about it, making songs about it, understanding it a little bit better. So it, I, I agree, as you say, it is mm. very much a generational thing in some ways and wisdom comes with age, perhaps, and experience. But um, it, it's not one of those great happy ending films because, as we know, you know, these things have not been solved mm. altogether. But it is inspiring and it is thought-provoking and it does have some effect. Definitely. Does it give any indication of how, because this is just a completely alien culture to me, how these rivalries started? 
That's a good question. I, yeah, I mean, they, they, they do talk about that and they go back and they try to remember, but it's all, even though it's fairly recent, there's this mm. kind of memories, it's just that these things have just grown up culturally. It's and it's, yeah. yeah, it's really interesting to think that it's suddenly, you know, people are like, well, you can't walk down there, otherwise you might get shot because so-and-so hates so-and-so. And it's, just, it's, it's, it's strange because it's that kind of thing you, you read about in the Daily Mail, gang warfare. And you yeah. think, oh, it's, it's kind of big, it, you know, they're bigging it up a little bit too much to try and instill fear. But, you know, kids, and they are kids, young people are dying, are, are being yes. shot and murdered because of, as you say, rivalries they've forgotten where they originated yeah. from. And what's good about this film is you're hearing that from the point of view of the people it directly involved, not from the Daily Mail. You know, and you're hearing from people who've been in prison and who've lost their friends and been involved in dreadful things. So, OK, so yeah. that's uh, one mile away. Uh, and th- is, is that out now? It's out tomorrow. Okay. And it's, they've got some Q&As and stuff, I think, coming up on Monday as well. Okay. Pitch, and uh, listen, we're out of time. Thank you so much for coming in. It's very nice to meet you. Nice to meet uh, you. Trance, good vibrations, one mile away. It sounds like they're all worth checking out yep. at some point. Uh, Anna Smith, thank you. 0207 224 2000 is the telephone number. Here's the four tops.
her death and why are the four tops so upset about her? Don't worry, lads, we'll try and find her. This is Ian Lee on BBC London 94.9. Coming up after the news, we'll be speaking to Josh West. Who he? I shall tell you after the news with Richard Main. Ten members of a Romanian gang who stole more than a million pounds worth of jewellery from shops in Wembley, Ilford, East Ham, Southwark and Haringey have been sentenced to a total of 82 years in prison. The convictions follow a major operation by the Met's flying squad, who discovered the gang were burying the stolen gold and gemstones on waste ground near Turnpike Lane Station. After a week of deliberation, the jury in the inquest into the deaths of six people in a fire at a block of flats in South London are set to deliver their verdicts this afternoon. Three adults and three children were killed in the blaze at Lackanol House in July 2009. Turkey has deported at least 600 Syrians from a refugee camp near the border after clashes with Turkish military police. Turkish officials say Syrian refugees were protesting about living conditions. And the Pope has called on priests to liven up their masses and to preach with zeal. Giving his Holy Thursday service at St Peter's, Pope Francis said people should leave a mass looking like they've heard good news. London's weather, cloudy with wintry showers at times, especially in the east, slightly drier in the west, some bright or sunny intervals too, but still that biting easterly breeze. A high of 6 degrees Celsius, that's 43 degrees Fahrenheit. With the BBC London 94.9 travel, delays of up to 15 minutes for East Midlands trains following a signal problem near Bedford. Signal problem in the Reading area is left, has left delays of 30 minutes for first great western trains out of Paddington to Reading and Didcot Parkway for Oxford in the West Country. And delays of up to 15 minutes for London Midland and Virgin from Watford Junction to Euston. That's due to a signal problem at Watford Junction. That's also delaying southern trains from Watford Junction into Clapham Junction. Uh, delays for the M11 down to one lane still southbound from Junction 5 at Loughton to Junction 4 for the North Circular at Woodford due to a broken-down vehicle blocking a lane. Uh, Derek rang in earlier on 020-722-4000 reporting congestion round the Charlie Browns roundabout as a result. And if you've got any travel news, do get in touch. You're welcome to call, text or tweet us at BBC Travel Alert. Had a broken-down lorry earlier on the eastern side of the Hangar Lane geratory system. The southbound queues on the North Circular have eased from the eastern, but it's still pretty slow from Park Royal. And the northbound delays are still back to Gunnersbury Lane. In Edmonton, Conduit Lane fully reopened following an earlier accident northbound just to the north of North Circular from Kenninghall Road up to Meridian Way. Broken down lorry from this morning still in place on the A23 Streatham High Road southbound just after the lights at the junction with Streatham Common North. So we've still got congestion back to Streatham Hill. And uh, we've got a burst water main and temporary lights for emergency repairs on Golders Green Road at the Prince's Park Avenue junction. That's causing delays in both directions just to the south of the North Circular in the area. Pippa Sparks, BBC London, 94.9 the next travel at three. This is BBC London 94.9. If you were speaking right now to the Education Secretary, what would you tell him? BBC London 94.9 Breakfast. It's a really, really major issue. If they're doing their job, if they're protecting the vast majority of the public, it doesn't matter that they're not liked, does it? With Penny Smith and Paul Ross. The police have already got a reputational problem here in London. The fact that we have the most expensive trains in Europe, does anyone benefit? So how do you think we're going to deal with this lack of places? Is it possible to fill that gap in, what, 18 months? BBC London. 94.9 Breakfast. I must say, when I was first told about this, I thought it was a joke. Do you want my opinion on it? Yes, you just give your opinion. With Penny Smith and Paul Ross. Weekdays from 6. 
Hello, this is Ian Lee, BBC London 94.9, here till three o'clock, sitting in for Robert Elms. We're asking this today, I keep going to say this morning, I have no idea why I'm falling apart at the seams. We're asking today, what was your first dance at your wedding? Earlier on, we played God Only Knows by the Beach Boys, which is, is one of the most majestic pop songs of all time. It was the first dance at my wedding. It was quite controversial. I have to say, my mother-in-law, she went, oh, yeah, that's a nice choice, went and Googled the lyrics and came back and went, no, 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 you're not having that. Feisty Greek lady is Christina. No, 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 you're not having that. And I kind of kicked up a stink. And we did have it. She objected to the line, I may not always love you. She didn't then go on to read that, that it's all about how the fact that you could never stop loving this person. But it caused controversy. So what was your um, your first dance? Kate in the Burbs has uh, texted in 81333, starting her text with the word London. We had an official first dance, Ella Fitzgerald, the very thought of you, for the Grands. And then we had a secret one, the Smiths. There is a light that never goes out, which was just as romantic, if non-Gram friendly. Can you have two... First dances? That doesn't seem to make sense to me. 0207 224 Start your text with the word London. What was your first dance and was it controversial in any way?
Christy London 94.9, here till three o'clock. Now, joined by um, a guest who, let's be honest, he's only just turned up. He was a little bit late. <laughs> you, you, Josh West, Josh, is it true you were running down Regent Street trying Absol- to get here? Yeah, absolutely. I got off the tube and I, I, I sprang to the top of the stairs and carried on ringing. Running you're and you're here phone. because you're a London bus driver. Mm. We were really expecting you to be bang on time. And mm. you, Listen, it's good to have you here. You, you're not just any old London bus driver. You're going to be featuring in It's a tough, the Toughest Place to Be. Mm-hmm. Which is now this is this is this series goes out on BBC Two. That's correct. It happened a year ago. Uh, just over two and a half years. Two ago, and a half years ago yeah. was the first one, mm-hmm. and this is kind of a, a return. Explain what happened two and a half years ago. Um, initially, the, uh, the BBC put an advertisement for a bus driver, and yeah. that was nationwide. Um, so we had people applying from Newcastle, Southampton, Liverpool, all over the country. Um, I found out about it relatively late. Yeah. Um, put my application form in. But uh, applying to do what? What, do, what did you think you were well, signing up for? Well, what they said is to for you to drive a bus or become a bus driver in one of the most densely populated places in the world. Yeah. Um, and they had India and they had um, the Philippines yeah. as a choice. In the end, they picked the Philippines. Um, lucky for me, I was chosen over sort of like 480 people. What did, what did, you, what, what did you have that was, that was different? Why did they pick you, do you think? I've asked them that question myself. Yeah. Um, and they've said to me, that I was able to um, ask a question, listen to the answer, and then carry on um, with the question. Yeah. Another question. And it sort of like flowed into a normal conversation instead of me being fed lines all the time. And you, you were a genuine bus driver. What route were you driving at the time? At the time, I was driving the 148 route, which goes from White City to uh, Campbell Green. Lovely. Um, since then, things have changed. I'm no longer a bus driver, okay. but I still work in the bus industry. Oh, OK. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you got, you got the gig. Mm-hmm. They said, right, we're going to send you to the Philippines. Mm-hmm. Why? Why are they sending you there? Um, firstly, the Philippines, they have a vehicle called a jeepney, which is... Called free- a what? A jeepney. Jeepney? It's basically a an old-fashioned jeep like you would get in the A-Team or um, World War Two films. And basically what the, the Filipinos have done, they've spliced it in half, elongated it, put a roof on it and made it into a bus. Um, and that's what they use as Brilliant. their transport around, which is great ingenuity. For them. And it's used in the same way as a bus here. So they have, do they have bus stops? Do people kind of flag it down and pay a fare? It, it's more like the taxi system what we have over here where people flag you down. Okay. But he has a general route where he goes along. And there are general spots where most people stop and he looks out for them. So you, yeah. you, you say here, you got paired up with a gentleman over there, didn't you? Yeah, I got... Rogelio, uh, Rogelio is a, a great friend of mine now. Um, we talk on a regular basis and contact each other on a regular basis. So, um, yeah, he's a good friend. What's, what's the fella's name? Rogelio. Rogelio. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so how did it work the first time, two and a half years ago? You got paired up with him and you did his job for a week, that kind yeah, of... Yeah, I, I was over there for about approximately 18 days, stayed at his house, um, lived in his conditions, did his work and lived his lifestyle. And I saw the Philippines from his point of view. Mm. Um, um, which was, again, for me, coming from London, uh, very shocking because um, I hadn't travelled to Asia before, had no ideas what it's like, um, and seeing it from his point of view was um, a life-changing experience. What was what was so different? What what what, what were the things that you, you kind of really noticed and shocked, shocked you? Um, the main things what shocked me, is when, shocked me is when I compared his job to my job. Um, I got paid an hourly late, hourly rate, which is union covered, and you know there's rules and regulation for mm. me. Whereas he basically works for himself, and he has to pay out for every single thing. So he could work a whole day, and once he's paid out the whole amount of money, what he pays out, he only has like seven pounds in English money left to feed his family and, and pay for medicines for his wife, who's not particularly well at the time. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, did you enjoy it? Was it such a huge shock? You're laughing now. I'm guessing maybe you didn't enjoy it. I, I did enjoy it. I enjoyed it because I made a, a fantastic friend. And um, Rogelio, even when the camera stopped 
um, filming, me and him talked and we became great friends. Mm. Um, we call each other brother now, which is um, something which I um, I don't do very often because um, I feel it's a special word and um, I use him as my brother and I get advice from him and he does the same for me. Um, so I really enjoyed spending time with him and his family and, you know, immersing myself in the Filipino culture. Uh, and what do you think you took away from that first visit two and a half years ago? How do you... How do you did, did it change your outlook to your job as a bus driver? Um, I realised how much, how privileged I was to do the job I do um, and how we have a safety net in this country, whereas the Philippines, for especially for Rogelio, if he doesn't work, he doesn't get fed. Mm. Um, so I realised that, you know, I have to appreciate what I've got here. It made me a lot more appreciative of my lifestyle and my life over here and what I have over here. And because of that, I decided that I would help him out as well as much as I possibly could. OK, well, listen, you, you've, you've gone back again. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we'll talk about that uh, in, in a second. But before that, let's have a bit of music. This is the James Hunter 6, One Way Love. I'll speak more to Josh West after this. James Hunter 6, One Way Love. 
This is Ian Lee, BBC London 94.9. I'm joined by Josh West. Josh, we're talking about this series. It's the toughest place to be a bus driver. Uh, it's The Return. It's on um, Sunday, 9pm, BBC Two. Mm-hmm. Very quickly, you went back mm-hmm. to the Philippines. Mm-hmm. Why? What was the point of that? Um, I had done a few projects since leaving the Philippines um, to help out Rogelio and his family. Um, which I'm hoping to expand on now um, off the back of this show. Mm. Um, basically what I did, he, he only ever asked me for one thing and I said that I would do it for him mm. and that was to give his grandchildren a good education. So every year I do a sponsored run um, to raise funds so that I can spend his, send his grandchildren to um, uh, a private school over there so they can get a better education to get a better start in life. Now you were a bus driver and mm-hmm. I'm a huge fan of the bus. I love buses. I genuinely do. If I, if I got a little bit of extra time and I'm travelling in London I'll get the bus. Because you see stuff on the bus. You don't see anything on the tube. Mm-hmm. You don't see anything. It's tunnels. Oh, it's tunnels. It's, it's weird people. On the bus and if you sit on the top deck of the bus you see high up on buildings that you don't see. Mm-hmm. If you're listening to this, dear listener, if you want to, we've only got 10 minutes left, but if you want to give us a call and share your bus stories, 0207 224 um, But you're not a bus driver anymore. No. I got promoted just after coming back, and it was nothing to do with the TV programme. I had applied before I went. Yes. Um, and the one thing I did like about being a bus driver was exactly what you said. Mm-hmm. Um, the bus route that I drove, which was the 148, went round Victoria Houses of Parliament, um, Big Ben. It's great route. So yeah. it's, it's fantastic for tourists. And we had a lot of tourists on there. And we saw the state open the parliament and that sort of stuff. It was fantastic. We really enjoyed it. Um, but now I'm a bus service controller, which basically means I'm the person which tries to regulate Man. the service. I don't like you. Yeah. You're the guy that sits, you, you, you stand with the clipboard at the bus stop. My bus pulls up, is about to pull away. You come in and go, just stand there for two minutes. Are you yeah. reg- why are you regulating the service, I, Josh? I, I'll explain to you. I'll explain to you. There's an old saying what people say, oh, I've been waiting half an hour for a bus and free turn up. Yeah. I'm the person that stops that from happening. Right. So if I didn't regulate that service, I'll have three buses running together. Um, as much as a driver can do to keep to his time card or to the duty card, traffic conditions sometimes don't, aren't able to do that. I am. Um, so that's what I do. Um, it, the reason being is, say, for instance, you know you've got an appointment to get to and you've got to be on that bus at 8.30 mm. and that bus gets there two minutes early. Mm. The next waiting for the next bus might be eight minutes and late. and makes you late. Yes. So I have to regulate okay. that for everyone along the route. I'll try and curb my, uh, my <laughs> hatred for you. Did you ever get any trouble as a bus driver? Because I often see people going mental with bus drivers. I mean, you're a big lad. Mm-hmm. People might not notice that when you're sat down. Did, mm-hmm. did you ever get any, any trouble? Um, me personally, no. As you said, I'm a big lad, but also I'm able to diffuse the situation. Right. There are a lot of ways of diffusing the situation. First of all, eye contact, mm. um, smiling at a person. You can't really hit someone who's smiling at you or be abusive to someone who's smiling at you. So um, I, I tend to give them a, a friendly gesture and um, listen to their rant and then try and explain what's going on. Do you get training on how to deal with tricky people? Um or is it me just, just you just know it's inherent in you well, as a person? Well, in me, in me, you have to be, have a certain mindset to be a bus driver. Mm. Um, also, you have to be very skilled at your job because it's not easy weaving in and out of London roads. Mm. Um, but you have to have a certain mindset to let them know it's about the job, it's not a personal. This person has somewhere to get to and they're not taking out on you, they're taking out on the fact that they need to get somewhere and they feel that you've prevented them from doing that. It's not you personally. Um, and don't take it personally. Do you never feel... When I was a youngster getting on the buses, you, everyone would say, thank you, driver. 
Thank you, driver. People don't do that now. You're kind of, as a bus driver, you're kind of invisible to a lot of people. Yeah. You become part of the bus. You become the bus. Mm. You don't become a person, which is a shame, really, because when I was growing up, like you said, you used to say good morning and goodbye. And when you go outside London, you still have that. Mm. Um, but the hustle and bustle of London, it happens so fast. We have a route which runs at three minutes a time. There isn't mm. time for that. Um, you get someone in there asking directions, and that bus is late. Um, it's that it's that tight, but you know we we managed to get through that. We managed to get the buses through on time as much as possible. Um, so you know there's ways around it. What's the best thing that's ever happened to you on the buses? If you, do you have good stories about people kind of being nice, being kind? I tell you what was the funny thing. Um, there's several drivers who have my build, shape, and colour. And after I did the first episode of the bus program, a lot of people were getting on the one freight buses looking for me, and they were screaming, "Are you Josh, the bus driver? Are you wow. bus, the bus driver?" That was one bus thing. driver groupies. Yeah, that sort of thing. Um, and I was actually service controlling on one of our routes, and um, I was, like you said, I was holding the bus for two minutes, and this guy started banging on the window. And mm. Came downstairs, and says, "Come here!" And I thought, "Oh no, I'm in trouble now. What have I done? He's really going to let me have it." Because I saw you in that TV program. You did really well and I went oh thank you very much and he put his arm around my shoulder and he said to me I cried with you as well mate I really did and I I was like oh okay (laughs) what do you say to that what do you say to that well I just said thank you very much I didn't know what else to say what what else do you say to that well that's nice isn't it that Mm. that, that you you appearing on a TV show had that impact Mm -hmm. and and then uh, have you ever got have you ever got lost doing a bus route I tell you what my friend Captain John was a bus driver for a week Mm -hmm. On his second time out, he got lost, mm-hmm. and he, he he couldn't work out how to get back, and he ended up in a really narrow cul-de-sac, and he had to say to everyone, I'm really sorry I'm lost. Mm-hmm. I can't turn the bus around, you'll all have to get off. Does mm-hmm. that, has that ever happened to you or any of your friends? Um, what tends to... Re- only if, once you know your route... Yeah. Um, um, your friend Captain John obviously went off his route. He went if, off route, yes. Yeah. If once you know your route, it's very rare that you get lost. There are times when you need a new diversion, when you're learning a new route, and you're looking for a signpost to be turned, and some someone who's quite bored might move the signpost and you'll miss your turn in and oh, then you get lost which yeah. is through no fault of your own and there are safety features for that we have protocols which are in action and there's a cold red facility which we call Centercom and they can guide us out we can call our own base they can tell us what to do and how to get out so um, that really happens what happens to your friends Do you think that, that, that maybe bus drivers have kind of lost their personal touch a little bit because the, the, the part of the reason they're seen as, as, as part of the bus is is maybe their own fault because you don't Apart from you know you and a few exceptions, you don't see as many characters as bus drivers as perhaps you got fifteen twenty years ago. Yeah, I, I, I do. I do understand what you're saying, but I don't agree with it because I, right. I, I, I have interpersonal relationships with all the bus drivers in, in the garage, and, and I can understand that sometimes you wake up one morning and you, and you end up having an off day, just mm. like yourself and anybody else. And um, you know, normally when you be smiling and happy, you might be off day, but people remember that off day. They won't remember when you've run in for the bus and they've waited for you and you've got on the bus and then you just speak to a coaster card and when they sat down without saying thank you, you're thinking like, well, what's the point if you're not going to say thank you which again could have a knock-on effect i mean bus drivers are human they do make mistakes and not every single bus driver is perfect why do some drivers pull away when there's an old lady tapping on the door um there is a rule um and it is a rule which bus drivers can um up to their own judgment if the bus is shut the door is shut and he's proceeded to make his procedure to pull away from the stop he's not looking on the left hand side he's looking right hand side for the oncoming traffic if he stops then he could cause an accident Mm. so sometimes it's best for him or safer for him on his decision to drive on again it's not nice to be left at a bus stop 
And I do realise that. You're very diplomatic. <laughs> I can see why people like you. Very quickly, so we, we, we've, we've got to end. We're running out of time. You're moving house today. That's right. How on earth did you persuade your missus to let you get out of that most traumatic experience to come and do a radio interview, for goodness sakes? Um... My wife well, loves me dearly. She, she uh, obviously she does. does yeah. Josh, listen, it's lovely to talk to you. Uh, the show is uh, it, the worst place to be a bus driver. Toughest place, sorry. It's on Sunday, 9pm, mm-hmm. BBC Two. Thank you very much. Best of luck with the move as well. Thank you. Cheers, Josh.
Well, thank you very much for listening and everyone who took part. I, I thoroughly enjoyed myself. I hope you had a little bit of fun as well. This has been Ian Lee, BBC London 94.9. Don't panic. Robert's back tomorrow. Stay tuned because coming up after the news and uh, the travel, it'll be the excellent Joe Good. She's bonkers, but she's absolutely wonderful. And I mean that from the... Oh, I'm getting dirty looks now. I'll, I'll shut up. Uh, right, I'll shut up. Let's get the travel news now. Here's Pippa Sparks. <laughs> And the lift sorted out of Blackfriars Station, so step-free access restored to the Circle and District lines there. Delays of up to 50 minutes for East Midlands trains. Signal problem at Reading means delays of up to 30 minutes at First Great Western out of Paddington to Reading and Dickcote Parkway for Oxford and the West Country. And delays of 15 minutes for London Midland and Virgin from Watford Junction into Euston. And Southern trains from Watford Junction into Clapham Junction uh, following a signal problem. Broken down lorry earlier on the north circuit at the eastern side of the Hangar Lane Geratory System. That's been been moved for some time now, but the southbound queue is still back to Park Royal. Northbound delays uh, for the North Circular coming up from Gunnersbury Lane. And we've still got this broken down lorry. Happened at 7 o'clock this morning on the Streatham High Road. Southbound just after the lights at the junction with Streatham Common North. So it's still causing delays and the queues are back now towards Mitcham Lane. Pippa Sparks, BBC London 94.9, the next travel at 3.30. FM, DAB, satellite and online. London's news, London stories. BBC London 94.9. London's news at three, I'm 